Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It is episode 35, official episode. We've had more than that, but this is officially episode 35 of the Out of the Box podcast. I'm Gray Robertson. That is Tom Canterbury. Tom, we are back from Athens. Things have changed dramatically across the SEC, across the country. We are full. I mean, just what a great weekend it was. It really was a great weekend. You know, everything that Alabama could control, they did. The eating was good. The, the 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 meals were partaken in, and we will discuss that later on. And uh, Athens lived up to what it normally is as far as that type of a town, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, unfortunately, some of the things that were out of Alabama's control didn't go Alabama's way, but overall, Alabama's still in really good shape. So I'm I'm pretty stoked to be where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, you could make the argument. We'll talk about this later, but Alabama going into the final weekend of the regular season is in a better overall resume position than they were even in 2019, the year they won the conference. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct because you have the RPI rankings, Alabama number one in those, and you have the strength of schedule, which is obviously a lot better this year uh, than it was in 2019. Uh, Yeah, overall, I think Alabama's in a really good spot. I don't foresee a number eight uh, overall ranking in the, as far as seeding goes in the NCAA tournament. If it is, it will be much more farcical than it was even back in 2019. If that's the case, we are going to just, we're going to have to get together for that one. That's how that, that's how that's going to go. <laughs> there will be more words said than just farcical. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> I will have the bleeper prepared just in <laughs> case. It may start with an F and it may have fewer words, fewer letters than farcical does, but that, that's what it would be. <laughs> it's time to take a look at our trip around the bases because we've got a pretty big episode. It's going to be a fun one. We'll start at the plate, talk about Alabama. Get ready for Ole Miss this weekend. The Rebels are coming to Tuscaloosa coached by Jamie Traxel. Then we will advance to first, a huge weekend in the SEC. Tom, it would seem, I think, illogical of us not to, at, at the very beginning of the show, say congratulations to Courtney Diefel. You know, we talked to her in the offseason. We thought, huh, you know, she seems really excited about this team. Little did we know that they would be the SEC champions already going into the final full weekend of SEC play for the rest of us. They're done. But just uh, what a job by her, and congratulations to the Hogs. It's a tremendous overall turnaround. Arkansas goes from a perennial doormat in the conference, uh, one win in the conference the year before Courtney got there, and then she turns it around and they win at least a share. It depends on what happens this next weekend. Could be an outright SEC championship. Um, amazing job. Just uh, tremendous. And you look at what she's built there. Um, she is, you know, they're, they're able to do it. On both sides of the ball, basically, they they can they can pitch it. They have two uh, legit aces in uh, Storms and Half, and then they can definitely hit the ball as well. And you have the uh, SEC Player of the Year nominee in uh, Burnside, and the rest of the lineup up and down is very formidable as well. You know, you can say they certainly took advantage of a lesser overall schedule in the conference. They didn't have to play Florida. Uh, you can make the argument they lost the series, the two best teams they played in Alabama and, and Missouri, but that being said, they took care of business in those uh, bottom feeder type matchups. And, you know, then it's not their fault. That's the schedule that it was. That's right. what they were given. Uh, so, uh, you know, congratulations to them. Definitely. Yeah. And clinching in Baton Rouge, you know, that's seems not easy, thing. but people are doing it lately. <laughs> right. Yeah. It seems to be a thing. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things I tweeted out. It's like, if you're LSU, you got to be tired of the SEC championship being clinched on your 
on your field and you not be the one clinching them. But now it's happened two seasons in a row. And that's a, uh, that's an issue. I think you, you got to be looking at that if you're LSU and best right now and see what's going on there. Good job by Arkansas. They also were able to uh, snap the, what had been the, the kind of the way things had gone this year of uh, the trend of LSU sweeping double headers. And yeah. you know, they Arkansas kind of bucked a bunch of trends to win the sec here this weekend. Yeah, that'll be just part of our discussion in advancing to first. We'll also talk about SEC Player of the Year and Pitcher of the Year because those races are getting really interesting. We'll have FGCL Player of the Week. Then we will steal second, Tom, with Jenny Dalton Hill. We had to shuffle some things around because some you know things popped up here and there. As they do, schedules are fluid. So Jenny Dalton Hill joining us this week, and I'm really interested to get her take on a bunch of things, the Arkansas Championship, but also Bedlam is this weekend Tom and it's big because technically Oklahoma State still has a chance to win the Big 12 if they win the series <laughs> not, not gonna happen I mean I'm just on. saying there's a mathematical chance. right yeah uh, good not gonna happen uh so, but yeah so that'll be fun to talk about I also want to ask JDH and I, I appreciate her you know being willing to come out of the bullpen in this situation I felt somewhat attacked on the Twitter here yesterday and uh, from, from someone, one of our friends. And I was, I didn't know what was going on with that. So I want to get uh, JDH's uh, opinion on that whole situation. Oh no. All right. Then we will round third <laughs> and go into bracketology. Tom, once again, it's now a 13 page docket. We'll talk uh-huh. about uh, my bracketology and also predetermined sites. Something else we'll talk about with JDH because I'll be, I'll admit it. I was wrong. I thought we would see one thing. And we saw another with the predetermined sites. And I mean, I'm okay with it. Uh, I'm a little yeah. disappointed, but you know, I, I think now we know that this will be a pretty straightforward seating and hosting process. Yeah. And, and in that way, I'm happy. I'm glad there's not that big of a change. It should be as is as normal overall. So I'm glad that is the case. But like you said, it, it's a little disappointing that we had, you know, an opportunity to see some, some crazy stuff happen. Uh, but ultimately that crazy stuff would have been at the detriment to some of the top teams in in the nation. So uh, that's probably, in fairness, the correct thing that has happened. But yeah, I remember we, last week we were talking about the possibility, all right, when these you know predetermined sites come out, we might need to do an emergency pod. We might need to jump out there. Uh, but then it pretty much was, well, no, there's pretty much normal. So we'll just address it next week. <laughs> it was as calm an emergency as ever before <laughs> in college softball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, like I said, it's uh, I'm glad yeah, on, on one hand, and marbly overall, I'm glad it's back to pretty much normal. Yeah. Then we will head home. We've got SEC series picks. I gained one on Tom because I got the Kentucky Derby right. Medina Spirit, my boy, thank you. My boy, Rock Your World, got boxed out from the beginning, and his world was rocked. And <laughs> uh, I don't know if he ever got closer than 17th, so that's rough, rough day. <laughs> at Churchill Downs for Tom's Tom's boys. Because also, Soup and Sandwich, who jumped out really good. I was like, all right, well, if my main guy can't win, at least my favorite horse will win. And oh, no, he did not. He came, he came out right too fast, did Soup the, and Sandwich. The Sports Center replay showed Rock Your World, and we both went, oh, oh. so that's how it went wrong. <laughs> that's, why, like, that's, why we, block. that's why we literally never saw him, ever. <laughs> he, he was the number two horse as far as odds go. At, at at the time of the start of the race and never saw him. We've also Tough got scene. an extensive Tom's Hungry this week uh, and a brand new segment joining us for the second time in podcast history, 
our friend SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan for the sparkling debut of the brilliant idea that we've been discussing for years with Nate that he's been pushing for for a very long time. Nate's thirsty. Very excited for Nate's thirsty. Also, Nate, the, the man who came up with the idea for Tom's Hungry. So I'm very excited. True. And, you know, and you when you look at it, we're going to all these places, we're eating all these great food, we're drinking all these great drinks for science. We have to we have to document for science. Yeah, I gained four pounds this weekend sure. for science. That's it's a it's a tough job. Somebody's gotta do it. <laughs> we volunteer as tribute. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. <laughs> Let's start at the plate and talk about Alabama's week and what a week it was, Tom, in Athens, getting the sweep, four one victory in game one. Game two. I mean, like, it just went off the walls real quick. Georgia had no good shot. Way. Yes. Yeah. Georgia had, I mean, they got punched in the mouth early and then just never recovered. It was a 13-3 to victory for the Crimson Tide in five innings. And honestly, I mean, that score is closer than it really hmm. felt at the time. Right. And then game three, won by the Crimson Tide, 6-3. to three. Another game that really never felt in doubt. In fact, you could argue the blood pressure never raised more than a couple degrees above normal all weekend long. I mean, it was a pretty chill series for the Crimson Tide. There was not much pressure. And it was because the offense came alive really well, and they backed up Montana Fouts, who pitched lights out as usual. Absolutely. I think you can, you can make the case that right now, Montana Fouts is as good as, as anybody in the country in the circle. And, and when she pitches, Alabama has a chance to win regardless of who the opponent is. Uh, she is out there and just absolutely dealing because Georgia's offense is not bad and never was, like you said, I think maybe twice did I have any concern throughout the three games when Georgia did hit the home run to pull within 3-2 in game three. Um, and then they loaded the bases at some point in game one that I got a little, but the heart started ba- beating a little bit. But outside of that, uh, when you had the offense doing what they're doing, uh, game number three, or game number two, excuse me, was as good as I've seen this offense be able to just turn through the lineup. And you scored 13 runs, but and 12 hits and only one of those being an extra base hit. I mean, that, that's the type of, of game that this offense can really have. You're gonna, it's not, it's gonna be rare. It's not going to say, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's going to be rare for an Alabama offense to hit five home runs in a game or three home runs in a game and, you know, score 13 runs that way. It's going to be a lot of, you know, you know just execution and turning the lineup over uh, with these type, with this type of offense that Alabama has at this point. And I think that's, that, that works. It's good. You know, so you'll certainly take it. You know, a, a squeeze bunt for a run counts as much as a solo home run does. And this offense, that, that's what, that's what this offense can do now. Uh, great job by, you know, up and down the lineup, Savannah Woodard being named the newcomer of the week in the SEC. Maddie Morgan had a five RBI day. And then, of course, the top of the order was outstanding as always. Yeah, seven hitters for Alabama hit over 300. Just some numbers, Tom. 21 walks drawn in the series. This was a Georgia pitching staff last in the SEC in walks allowed. So good on Alabama to execute on that. 31 hits, 23 runs. A very good eight for eight stolen bases. We hadn't seen a ton of speed on the base paths in conference play, mainly because to me, it felt like Alabama just didn't want to run themselves out of innings right. because they weren't getting the consistent hits then. They were this weekend, Patrick Murphy, and, and I assume the Greenlight girls felt more comfortable just going, and uh, it worked out eight for eight, like I said. Tao, Hemphill both hit 
for 500 this week. Kaylee Tao, three RBIs, the home run. Savannah Woodard, three for eight, four RBIs. Taylor Clark was three for eight, so good to see that average start to rise up. I mean, like you said, it came from everywhere in the order. Pitching-wise, Montana Fouts, we just kind of talked about it. I think we're seeing the best she's ever pitched in her career. I will say she made a couple more misses this weekend than we had seen in the last couple starts, but uh, you know, Georgia being good, they were able to take advantage of those mistakes. But overall, I still think she looks pretty unstoppable right now. And, you know, I feel like three is probably the ceiling of runs in a game. She'll give up if she's pitching like she is because Georgia just, I mean, seven hits in 14 innings against Fouts, two walks, 20 strikeouts. And on the, on the flip side, Crystal Goodman, really good as well. Yeah, and I, I thought it was a really good performance by both starters. Uh, Fouts, one thing we've talked to Patrick Murphy about a lot, which I, I think is really a, a improvement and uh, from what we saw maybe a couple months, a month or two ago in Fouts's game, is that she's done a really good job of if the opponent gets a hit or two, start you know, or has a, a inning where they score a few runs, that she comes back the next inning or in that particular inning and shuts it down. She doesn't allow it to kind of snowball, which is what happened in Lexington, especially that I can think of. Uh, So I think after that, we really have seen Montana, you know, whether it be a mental change or a physical change of, I'm I'm not going to allow things to go off the rails. I'm going to, I'm going to stick in Yeah, Every once in a while, they're going to get a run or two, uh, but we're going to, we're going to stop it right there. And I think she's done a great job at that. Um, and Goodman as well. I think she she has really shown Patrick Murphy that she can be trusted in big spots. Um, if Fouts is not available, if Kilfoyle is still not 100%, you can go with Crystal Goodman in important innings, uh, which is we're to the point now of the season that all, their, all, their, all that is left are important innings. <laughs> so uh, I feel I feel pretty good with whoever goes out there for Alabama at this point. Yeah, I thought Crystal Goodman had – better control overall I thought she did a good job limiting situations but I mean let's be real she also had the luxury of an offense that was scoring four runs an inning every time they went to the plate that's certainly helpful too right I was 100 (laughs) percent all right Lexi Kilfoyle we have to we have to talk about it because I was surprised that we didn't see her this weekend my thought was just based on my own opinion again I've been told nothing I have these people asking things of late and you know, we had answers about a week and a half ago, but now we're not really sure because things seem to be changing by the day. I thought we would see her. We did not. It wasn't really needed, but hopefully we will this weekend. My assumption is Lexi Kilfoyle will pitch in some capacity this weekend. I honestly think if she's even close to 100%, it would be a mistake not to, just to get her some innings before the SEC tournament and NCAA tournament get going. Uh, but I, you know, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> right. That's that's the one thing that apparently there are people that think we are much higher on the totem pole than we are, that we have all the answers and we have and, and we are told everything all the time. Uh, it We are not. So we we, uh, we are observing a lot of things the same way that that everybody else is. Um, I, I with you. I, kinda, I thought we would see her pitching wise, but I think you had a combination of. Not wanting to push her if she wasn't comfortable and then also. As far as hitting, you had the reemergence of Jenna Johnson being, you know, to the point of being where you can start her. So you didn't have to uh, 
uh, throw Guilfoyle out there if she wasn't 100% either at the plate either after we saw her start in game one DP. So I think it was an opportunity because there's not, again, there's not going to be many more chances as we hit in the postseason of giving somebody rest. And maybe it was an extra chance. All right, we feel good about Crystal. So let's let, let her go and then give Kilfoyle, which again, the injury that we are told is that nothing, nothing can help it except for rest. So, you know, give her that opportunity, get an extra few days, and then uh, hopefully she'll be 100% by the end of this weekend or into the uh, postseason. Again, we don't know, but I am operating on the thought right now. We'll see if it changes. We do have some of the TV coaches calls coming up this week. Our first will be on Thursday before game one of the Ole Miss series. But my thought is we will see Kilfoyle. We'll see if that's the case. (laughs) Yeah, we'll wait and see like everybody else. We will find we'll out find- like 10 minutes before y'all. <laughs> right. We'll find out when we see the lineup. That's pretty much how that works. <laughs> On the flip side of that series, Tom, great performance by Alabama from Georgia. I think it was shockingly bad. And I was really disappointed overall in the look of the team. I thought offensively there were a couple bright spots, but not very much consistency and not a ton of competitive at-bats early in games. And look, I love Mary Wilson Avant. I am a big fan. Her mother, super cool, super nice. I love meeting her. It was awesome. I, it's one of my favorite things in the world when we meet people who listen, who are fans of other teams, because mm. it's just interesting to hear their perspective and what they think of the show. The truth did not have it this weekend. And it was almost shocking to see how quickly Alabama got to her. And as we talked about, Georgia does not have any options really behind her in the circle. And that just led to a downward spiral. Yeah. Alabama had no problem handling the truth uh, for either games that, that she pitched as the Crimson Tide went into Athens and made their home a house. And it was uh, just a, I thought I, I, again, with like, I agree what you said, great performance by Alabama, but a frankly uninspired performance by, by Georgia. There should not, it should not be a situation where an opponent can come in in that big of a series. It's senior weekend. It's the end of the season. You have an opportunity to be a top 16 overall seed uh, and to come in and you only threaten maybe twice the entire weekend. That should not happen. If you're a team that the caliber of Georgia and um, I was very very unimpressed with the Bulldogs all weekend long. It's, it's hard hard to put it any other way. Just that they do, I have no fear of them moving forward. Yeah, it was it was just overall really disappointing, and I did feel bad for Mary Wilson Avant because odds are that will be her final performance in Jack Turner Stadium, and it, it just didn't go well. But mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, overall, it just it, it didn't seem like Georgia was ready to pick her up. And the rest of the pitching staff, other than Britton Rogers' relief performance in game one, was not ready for this weekend. There needs to be a lot of development from Lou Harris-Champer and Rachel Fico going forward. Whether that can be done, we'll see. But there's a lot of work that has to be put into this program right now because they're really young. And that means they can run really hot or really cold. But man, when they run cold like that, it is, it's truly embarrassing. And those are not losses that Georgia softball should see multiple times in a year for sure. Yeah. They're capable of games. Like when they had the big comeback against Kentucky, they're capable of beating a team like Oklahoma for goodness sakes, but they at no point looked like they had a chance to beat Alabama in any of the three games. Uh, you, you can make the case maybe in game three, 
when they hit the home run to pull it within three, two, but then they turned right around and gave up three runs in the top half of the next inning. And it was on walks and hit by pitches. It wasn't even, they didn't even make Alabama really earn it too much. Uh, so I, I think there is a huge warning bell going off. If you're Georgia, as we head toward the postseason. Well, let's look ahead to weekend against Ole Miss, Tom, the rebels, Hotty, toddy, gosh almighty, how the heck did we get here? Sixth in the SEC after being projected last in the conference. I just, if we were doing the show in front of a live studio audience, this would be where I stand up and just applaud Jamie Traxel on a job well done because this is not a very talented team in terms, or I guess in comparison to other SEC squads, but they keep finding ways to win. Now, to be fair, this past weekend against UCF, the first time they played a ranked team since the first week of April when they played LSU, they had a quote-unquote lighter SEC slate in the month of April, but they are winning those games. And coming into the year, I did not expect that. This is a good team with a good pitching staff. Savannah Diedrich, has got the ability to strike anyone out. She's had some really effective games against top competition this year. Anna Borgen was SEC Pitcher of the Week way back when, earlier this year. So, you know, Ole Miss is going to be a threat. I thought earlier in the year this would be a write-it-up-right-now sweep for Alabama. I'm not so sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact it's in Tuscaloosa will help that. But overall, yeah, you could make the argument because – I think if you really studied it, you could kind of see Arkansas coming a little bit this year that Ole Miss being in the middle of the pack is the biggest upset of anybody in the SEC this season. Yeah, they were picked at the bottom of the league and and for good reason, because you take a look, not only is it a, it was it a coaching change. It was a coaching change during the pandemic where you weren't really able to do the normal things that would happen during a coaching change. While also losing your ace, keep in mind that this off season really started before the coaching change was even made with Molly Jacobson leaving Ole Miss. Yeah. So you, you think you lose your best player. You, you have the coaching change. It's a coach that has never pit, never been in the sec before she comes in, doesn't have the normal practice time or, or face-to-face time because again, we're in a pandemic and things have really gone a lot better than anyone could have expected for Ole Miss. So yeah, I think this is a, a weekend that Alabama will need to be at their best to uh, to do to get the sweep that they're looking for. Lineup wise, Tom for Alabama, I feel really good about what I saw this weekend. I like Jenna Johnson as the DP. I like the order. I like Maddie Morgan closer to seven than what we saw her kind of you know at five against Louisiana or upper half. I, I think it's a pretty good lineup overall, and I'm not looking for any changes here this weekend. You know, it was interesting to see the top four of the lineup move to being Mac, Hemphill, Tau, and Sides. I wasn't sure about it after before game two, but then game two happened. I was like, well, this I guess this lineup works out pretty well. And it's not as though they did it against a scrub either. They did it against the truth to start off with. Right. Uh, so it, on senior day in Athens. So it was a really great performance. And I think you kind of solidified that that can be a good four. The only issue I would I have with it in general is if you have Matt getting on with a single, then she's still second and first base becomes open for them to walk Bailey. But if they do that, you know, Tao and, and Size have done such a good job of, of knocking them in that hopefully that'll give 
teams pause before they do so. So overall, I'm fine with it. And you're right. I think Jenna Johnson provides just a whole new dynamic as a designated player. If that's the way Patrick Murphy goes. I do think the Alexis Mack, Bailey Hemphill thing is really interesting because to me, the lineup loses all of its effectiveness. If Alexis Mack is not hitting five for 12 on a weekend, I do. I actually really like the strategy that he used a lot where there were two, two counts, two, one counts, and he would steal Mac and see if that changed the strategy of pitching to Bailey versus going around her and pitching right. around the zone. Because we saw sometimes mid at bat, Georgia would attack her. Mac would steal, take second, and Georgia would say, RBI chance for Bailey Hemphill? No way. We're walking her. And then what would happen? Like you said, Kaylee Tao would cash in and get a hit or something would keep the inning going. So I mean, we'll see how many chances Patrick Murphy has to try and work that this weekend. And now what that does do as well is that if you wait to 2-2 to seal her, then you're giving Bailey hopefully two chances to get a good pitch to hit. Right. And we'll, hopefully that, that'll continue to be the case. Just need two more home runs. That's it. Come yes. On. <laughs> Stuck on 58 for a long time and a lot of that not her fault, but we'll, we'll see what happens hopefully here in this last weekend. Well, it was a fun weekend in Athens, Tom. And you know what? My favorite part about it, with 31 hits and 23 runs, there are lots of options for this next question. So, Tom, it is time to put it in play and advance to first. Who the heck are we? Wow, yeah, there is a lot of options. It's, it's so Alabama learned to hit. Uh, I would go. That hitting coach really did oh, well. It really? Was, I was happy to see them actually do BP for once. <laughs> right. Yeah, so amazing. Uh, I am going to go with, got to go, let's go with SEC Newcomer of the Week, Savannah Woodard. Yes, Sav. Uh, Sav, I think, should be in the mix for some awards this year. We'll see if mm-hmm. that actually happens. But my hope is that people recognize the incredible work that she has done under very strange circumstances here this year. Yeah, very tough circumstances, as I've said before. Second straight year that she has been kind of thrown into the fire because of an injury and has really come up big. And just, you know, some of it is just raw athleticism that she's been able to do. But we have seen it. We talked about it with several of the batters for Alabama this year, how we are seeing improvement you know, game to game, week to week. It's not like you're not having to go through the entire season before you can show the improvement. It's coming each and every game. Uh, so the the Savannah Woodard we saw when she took over for, for the injured Bailey Dowling in late March, it's not the same one that's playing right now. And it, right. it's really impressive to see. Absolutely. And I agree with being Savannah Woodard here. It is time to advance to first. We have put it in play. When we come back, we will talk all things SEC. Arkansas is your SEC champion, but because, of course, Florida is still in the mix. And we will break down all the scenarios and what Florida did to stay in the mix this past weekend when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It's time to advance the first. Gray Robertson, Tom Canberry, the Out of the Box Boys, yada, yada. You know who we are. You know what we do. We talk Alabama and we talk SEC. Tom, as long as I have been watching the sport, as long as I have been tracking the sport, it has been Alabama and Florida just running the SEC. And for the first time in 12 years, we've got another champion 
and that is Arkansas. As we said earlier, congratulations to the Hogs. I think the story of the weekend is Arkansas goes to Baton Rouge and takes two of three at LSU is first off, they did that with 100% capacity. I mean, this LSU crowd was loud. You could hear it through the TV. The other story, Mary Half on the series, 16 and a third innings pitched, nine hits, two earned runs, three walks, 11 strikeouts. I mean, she said after the game, she told Courtney Dyfel, I'll throw every inning if I have to. She almost did this <laughs> weekend, and uh, she was really effective, Tom. I thought she was, too. I, I totally agree. I think she did a tremendous job, especially considering it was going to be a lot on her because um, Storm's obviously not 100%. And to have that, you got to have somebody that has that mentality uh, to be able to win, you know, kind of have that same mentality that Montana Fouts has of just, you know, jump on my back, I'll take you. And that's what half did. That being said, I thought LSU's approach at the plate wasn't the best <laughs> throughout a lot of that, especially uh, game three. It seemed like as, once Arkansas got the lead, LSU was just going out there and and hacking. Uh, yeah. They weren't. They didn't have great great approaches at the plate. Um, I just wanna I just wanna throw in the seventh inning in game one, one of the most pathetic attempts at a comeback I've ever seen. Two of them swings in the other batter's box. I right. I oh, was yeah, beside yeah. myself. Yeah. I was beside yeah. myself that that that's how they went out in that game. Yeah. And then the seventh inning of game three, which is what I thought you were talking about, but that yeah, that one was too. Uh they went from the swinging that the other batter's box to watching strike threes go right across the plate. So yeah, I guess that that's what I was saying. I think some of the approaches um were kind of just uh they kind of threw their film workout, you know, just just tossed it out, didn't even didn't even go up there with a plan um and half took advantage of it. Uh but that was the kind of disappointing to see that from LSU. But you know, Arkansas came in and it's not easy to win in Baton Rouge and they took two or three and clinched at least a share. What's also disappointing for LSU as we kind of look at the other side, I thought LSU pitched well enough this weekend to win the series. And the hitting let them down. And we have seen that from a lot of teams this year. We've seen that from Alabama at times this year, but it was just really disappointing to see, like you said, the LSU batters not make those adjustments because it wasn't like they were getting different looks every game. It was Mary half for 16 of the possible 21 innings this weekend. Yeah. It's, 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 as somebody who had a rooting interest in the game, it became very frustrating to watch. I assume if you're a, a an LSU fan, it was very, uh, very frustrating to watch. And you got to be able to make adjustments and not to take anything away from half, because again, I think she pitched just amazing. Yeah. But it wasn't like she was having just a, a lights out performance as far as hitting spots or, or, you know, you weren't watching it going, wow, everything that half was doing, but it was just, some really poor swings by LSU. So Arkansas, your SEC champion, first time ever. They will be co-champions if Florida sweeps this weekend against Texas A&M because, Tom, the Gators committed robbery this weekend, going to Columbia and just stealing away two games from our dear friend Larissa Anderson. Swiper, no swiping, did nothing. Mm. Florida went in there, and it was – it was stunning to watch, honestly. I mean, Missouri was in control of all three games late in them. The one run rule, I mean, they were in control of that early, right. late. You know, the two losses, I mean, in game three, Florida did not have a hit in until the sixth inning. 
And they won that game 3-2 on the top of the seventh home run by Hannah Adams. Just uh, Florida doing Florida things. 19 innings, and you could say probably Missouri won 17 of the innings. Yeah. And and lost the series two to one. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's the way softball is. And you have to be able to finish out games that and that is a talent. That is something uh, that is a skill to be able to finish out games. And um, and it's one thing and I'm gonna, we're going to talk with it with with JDH later on. But when you're talking about the SEC is I, I think it's the toughest conference to win in softball. And I say that and and I get pushback of saying, well, only two teams have won. Well, that's because they know how to do it. The other teams, they have a lot of talent. They just they don't know how to win at that high level. Um, and that's something that Larissa is going to have to continue to, to try to teach at Missouri because that that's what it came down to was just Missouri was in a spot that they'd never been in before. Uh, and Florida has, is in it every year. So they knew <laughs> what to do. And it also helps to have Hannah Adams. Uh, so it was a, a combination there. Just because you're you're winning through five innings, that doesn't mean you get, you've got it won. You got to finish off the game, and Missouri wasn't able to do that. Yeah, Missouri's first two losses of the year when leading after five. I do want to shout out Jordan Weber. She was pitching in both of the losses, and I mean, just gave them incredible starts both times. And you know, we could have a long debate about whether Larissa Anderson made the right choice pulling Weber when she did in both games. I, I hear both sides. I understand both sides. That's all in the past. And at this point, I think if you're Missouri, you'll learn from it. And if anything, this is the kind of loss, knowing that you are that close, that could catapult you into some kind of run here to end the year. It's possible. And and if anyone's able to do that, I, I would think that Larissa and that coaching staff will be able to help help push that through. But I, I think, it's, yeah, it's easy to go back and second guess uh, pitching changes. It, you based on the the outcomes obviously if you knew the outcome you wouldn't make the changes right. but uh yeah but i i think they were probably the pre-planned decisions i think that that the thought was at this point in the game if there's any if there's any challenge from florida this is where the the change will be made and uh, it just unfortunately didn't work out either time road sweeps are hard to come by tom we saw one last weekend for us at least that we, with our eyes, got to witness Alabama over Georgia. There was another one in the SEC, and that was Kentucky going on the road to sweep Texas A&M in College Station. Texas A&M now 4-8 and eight in SEC play since the losses to Alabama. So including that, that's 4-11 and 11 in their last 15 SEC games. I was surprised, honestly. Autumn Humes, your SEC Player of the Week, she crushed it at the plate. She crushed it in the circle. She was dominant all weekend long. But I'll tell you what, the enigmas continued to enigma. <laughs> I was yeah. not expecting a sweep. No, I was a week early on my Kentucky sweep, unfortunately. Yeah, that was a uh, heck of a performance by Kentucky. And you do kind of wonder about A&M. Uh, was a little bit of maybe fool's gold coming in because they had got themselves in the top 25 uh, coming into Tuscaloosa. Uh, Herzog at the time led the SEC and ERA, but it has really been in a tailspin for the Aggies since then. I think some of that is going to be when you are relying so much on one person like A&M does with Haley Lee, as far as offense goes, there's only so much that one person can do. Right. And because uh, she's still putting up really good numbers. It's just nobody else is. And that brings us to, speaking of putting up really good numbers, the SEC Player of the Year check. To me, it is down to three people. 
And we'll talk more about this with Jenny Dalton Hill later on if she joins us on the show. But to me, it is down to Kowalik, Hemphill, and Burnside. Kayla Kowalik from Kentucky, first in batting average, second in slugging percentage, second in OBP, first in runs scored, first in hits. Bailey Hemphill, second in batting average, first in slugging percentage, first in OBP, fifth in hits, first in RBI, fourth in home runs. And Braxton Burnside, fifth in OBP, third in RBIs, first in home runs. The lack of a Burnside uh, batting average is a little, you know, that that was one reason why she's not super high on my list. Right now, my vote goes to Kayla Kowalik because I, I think that she is the biggest difference maker and maybe the most versatile player in the country. I mean, with all that she can do. But I'm actually really disappointed that Bailey Hemphill is not getting more buzz because even though she's been walked 110,000 times in the last couple of weeks. She still leads the SEC in conference play RBIs. Which is amazing, yeah. I think Bailey Hempel is still the scariest batter in all of the SEC, maybe in the nation, and she's just not getting pitched to, so it's hard to get the numbers back up there, but she's contributing so many other different ways. I think that she may be deserving of the SEC Player of the Year. I'm just not sure if she's going to win it because she doesn't have some of the sexier numbers Kowalik does, but I think Kowalik is not going to win it because Kentucky's going to finish middle of the pack in the conference. I think because it's such a story and she did so much, especially early on, uh, to put herself in there, I think Burnside's going to get it unless something crazy happens this weekend. Uh, and I think at Hannah Adams also is still in the conversation too. So it may be a four-person race instead of three. See, here's what I think goes against Braxton Burnside. The next topic of conversation, which is pitcher of the year, because I think the front runner, all of a sudden, once again, after being our preseason pick, fading, and then shooting right back up is Mary Half. And I'm not sure everyone is going to want to give Arkansas everything, because right now, Courtney Dyfel, your coach of the year. It's either her or Jamie Traxel. Courtney Dyfel probably has the most votes. Yeah. Pitcher of the year, I think, is going to be Mary Half. And I think it's actually going to be pretty close to a runaway. Montana Fouts has a good case. Ashley Rogers does as well. But what Half has had to do, especially with Storms out, is just incredible. And so I think she'll run away with that. Freshman of the year is, I mean, who knows? But I'm not sure the coaches are going to want to give pitcher, player, and coach to – one team we'll see but yeah. that's that's just what my gut says and if that happens i think i actually think that bailey Hempel has a better chance to win it than koalik if that happens because again i just don't see unless somebody is hitting 600 and has set home run records and everything else i don't see somebody from a team that didn't finish in the top you know getting a buy in the first round of the sec tournament level winning it I could be wrong. I've been wrong several times in this podcast, but I don't, I don't, I just don't know if, if they will give it to Kowalik if Kentucky finishes sixth or seventh in the league. We'll that see. Is a, that's a fun debate that we can have next week because when we do yeah. the show, we hope that the awards will be official as we get ready for the SEC tournament. Now, the pitcher of the year discussion includes Ashley Rogers, who was incredible once again this weekend against Auburn. Tennessee going on the road, sweeping. I mean, a, a real trend this weekend. Ashley Rogers, 15 innings, five hits, two runs, one earned, two walks, 12 strikeouts. You know, you could say that Ashley Rogers is probably the second best pitcher in the SEC. And I think, 
you know, with Callie Turner pitching a little bit better right now, I know it was Auburn and that offense is statistically quite poor, but this is a Tennessee team that to me is really growing on my list of world series sleepers. If Rogers is on her game, because if she is, there are very few offenses that can hit her. Well, I don't know if I would put them in world series sleeper, but maybe, you know, getting to super regional type sleeper, if you're Tennessee, because even with Rogers pitching like she is, I just don't know if they have enough offensively, but that being said that they are pitching really well, uh, the, to get a sweep at Auburn. Yeah, it's been done. It's been done by Alabama this year. So we've we've seen it happen. That it's and by yeah. Arkansas. Auburn has been sure. swept three times at home. <laughs> Yikes. And they got some bad news transfer portal wise this week, too. McKenna Dowell, I believe she is finishing the season, but will go into the portal at the end of the year. And, and there are a couple other names apparently that will as well from Auburn. So uh, I'm not sure whether that is a hey, you've completed your four years. If you want to go for your fifth year somewhere else, please do, because we have a good recruiting class coming in. There are lots of financial things and, and logistical yeah. things that we don't know about, but it is interesting that uh, that Auburn, this year has not gone the way Mickey Dean wanted. No, not not at all. And, you know, you're looking at it where, you know, somebody like Ole Miss has really overachieved from what we thought. Auburn, even though they finished up, I think they're going to finish up about where we thought to get swept three times at home, I think is is not a good look at all. And it's not that they don't have talent. It's just nobody in the lineup scares you. It is time for the FGCL corner. Tom, we are on, I have to count, now the 12th FGCL Player of the Week award to be given out. Wow. It's Very a, prestigious. Uh, yeah. This award I mean, too, by the way. I need to send them, you know, what do we have? Hand sanitizer? I don't know. We, we got farcical stickers we can send them. We do. I think I left some on the table at the hotel in, uh, in <laughs> Athens. So some nice staff members hopefully took one home. Maybe. I don't know. Probably not. Anyway, <laughs> are you ready to hear the nominees for FGCL Player of the Week? Yes. Let's see what so we got. Let's start with Brianna Roper, Georgia Tech, 5 for 13, 6 RBIs, 2 homers, a double, 2 walks, a strikeout, and 6 runs scored we've got neely herring underway by the way right now wichita state and oklahoma wichita state has one hit against oklahoma that was by neely herring so that doesn't even factor into these numbers herring was eight for 16 last week three rbis a home run two triples two doubles a walk three strikeouts five runs scored had the game winning solo home run in the sixth against Oklahoma state to win three, two had the two out RBI triple in the seventh against Tulsa to tie that game at six, Wichita state would later go on to win seven to six. Again, a two out RBI triple just run of the mill in the bottom <laughs> of the seventh. <laughs> Those are always fun. And I'm a sucker for a triple. So I think Neely Herring has a, a good shot of making the final two here. Well, we'll see what everybody else has. Riley Ludlam from Furman, six for 14, three RBIs, two home runs, a triple, a double, two strikeouts, and three runs scored. Jenny Jansen, six Mm -hmm. for nine, two RBIs, three doubles, and two runs scored for Southern Illinois. We've got Alyssa Mullis. I've got her on this list. I know she's not going to win the Player of the Week. She had a good week, but she's not going to win Player of the Week. I did want to talk about what her team did this week, though. Alyssa Mullis from Georgia Southern, three for eight, an RBI home run, a walk, three strikeouts, and two runs scored. They swept South Alabama this weekend. 
including beating Olivia Lackey twice. This was a Georgia Southern team oh. that was in the basement of the Sun Belt and took three from South Alabama. So props to the Eagles for sticking with it and winning a huge series for them. And for South Alabama, I mean, that might have eliminated them from the NCAA tournament. That's that's rough for South Alabama. It's rough for Alabama. It's rough for Georgia. It's rough for several of the teams that South Alabama has beaten this year, too. Uh, yeah, that's, that's going to have ripple effects, possibly. Mm, huge. So congrats to Alyssa Mullis being a part of that huge upset this weekend. And, of course, our, you know, we've got some room hmm. for Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. Haley <laughs> Lee from Texas A&M being nominated this week. Four for ten. An RBI, a home run, a walk, two runs scored, had the solo home run in the bottom of the seventh to force extras in game two against Kentucky to the surprise of nobody. So, Tom, your top two, please. Wow. Uh, Okay, well, I'm going to, as I said, I think Neely Herring is definitely one of those two, having the late-inning heroics that she did to go along with those great numbers. And I will probably also go with, I'm going to say Riley Ludlam from Furman will be my other uh, other final contender. I love the picks. Uh, congrats to both of them. The winner is Neely Herring. Wichita State has beaten Oklahoma State twice this year, and the second time around, it was Neely Herring who had the game-winning hit, who had the game-winning home run. It was Neely. Mm-hmm. I mean, Neely Herring, Oklahoma State, probably going to be a top-eight seed. Tulsa, no slouch. I mean, that's a good American athletic conference team. Just a really impressive performance. So Neely Herring is your FGCL Week 12 Player of the Week. And depending on where the uh, where the possible matchups are for the Shockers, I think they're going to be a kind of a popular number two seed to try to pull an upset in regionals too. I mean, if they go to Stillwater, who knows? They're, they have history. Look out Arkansas. Mm. Hmm. All right, Tom, do you see it? Do you see it through the fog and all through the, ter- the-, through the torrential downpours tonight here in Tuscaloosa? Tom, did you know it hasn't stopped raining since 2014? I mean, what is going on outside? I, I went in between segments to go grab something from the car and I had to get my canoe. I would say Arizona State has played an extra inning game since the last time it has stopped raining. <laughs> that is a deep cut. That is a deep cut. For three people that'll get that and laugh. One of them, Nathan Sheehan, laughing somewhere. You know what it means, folks. Somewhere Nathan Sheehan is laughing. (laughs) And somewhere we are stealing second because we've got the sign. The green light guys are ready to go. And when we come back, we will talk to the great Jenny Dalton Hill. We've got questions about the SEC. We've got questions about predetermined sites. Tom has got some beef he needs to bring up. I was attacked on the Twitter. I was attacked. We love you, Jen. But yes. By our family. um, I was attacked by the family. Yes. You know what? And here's the thing, everybody. It's not a fight. It was a discussion. And here's the thing. We're all going to do it in person over pizza next week. That is the plan. So I'm there. That's how it goes. But anyway, (laughs) unfortunately, Jenny Dalton Hill won't be there. She's working the ACC tournament, but she will be here on the Out of the Box podcast as we get ready to steal second here on the show. We'll be right back.
Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It is time to steal second. I am Gray Robertson. My partner, Tom Canterbury, is here. And we are joined by one of the only, maybe the only guests that we have seen in person this year because we got to see her beautiful face in Lexington, Kentucky a couple weeks ago. She is from ESPN. She's a part of the Seven Innings podcast. She is an Arizona legend from out in Tucson and her career that she did uh, as an Arizona Wildcat. She is Jenny Dalton-Hill. JDH, welcome back. It is so good to see you. Hey, and two times in one season. I'm so lucky, right? Yes. <laughs> we, have, we have hit the cycle now. We're, we're rolling back with our friends and checking back in on them later on in the year. And, and like I said, I mean, you know, you weren't working the day that we saw you in Lexington, but to actually see somebody we were so excited. <laughs> well, it was so funny you say that because I got to do a Kentucky game for the digital network later after I saw you guys. And um, our boss at ESPN, Meg Ronowitz, was like, I almost texted you because I was kind of tired of hearing how excited you were to be at the field calling a game. <laughs> it, it's amazing the things that we, we, we did take for granted that now it's like, well, this is really cool actually being able to be at the stadium and things like that. And uh, it was funny when, when we saw you in Lexington, we say we saw your face, we saw half your face because you were still, because everyone was still wearing masks. And uh, I didn't even, when we first came up, I didn't, you had to remind, hey, this, hey, it's Jenny. I didn't realize it was you. I was so happy to see you though, once, I, once we found out. You guys are awesome. No, and I felt bad. We couldn't even sit in the same room. I had to sit in a different room. And, but we were at the ballpark. We were watching great softball. So that's all that really mattered. Well, it was, it was kind of great. I don't know that that weekend wasn't the best, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> Agreed. Not for, not for Alabama. I will give you that. Well, if we're going to talk about great softball, then we do have to start with Arkansas because the, uh, the Razorbacks on Monday night secured their first SEC regular season championship. They've got at least a share locked in. I think they will claim it outright when Florida eventually loses this weekend to Texas A&M at some point. I'm calling it now. I think Arkansas has got this outright. But I do want to hear your thoughts, JDH, about this team and this turnaround because as we were talking about earlier, her first year they had one win, and now they won the SEC. I mean, just what a turnaround for Courtney Diefel in this program. Well, and I am so excited for them because watching them those first couple of years of Courtney Diefel's tenure at Arkansas, it was hard. You know, those players fought with everything they had. They never gave up. I mean, there were some really hard fought games, but they just got outplayed a lot early on as Courtney Diefel was working to get in her own players. But to see them now lead the SEC in home runs with 89, they, um, they actually have the most walks and the most strikeouts in the SEC as well. So you can tell that they're really taking their hacks, but they're also pretty patient at the plate as well. So I'm just excited for the success that they're seeing, but the long ball has really caught my attention because if 
you put together their four big hitters with Gibson, Burnside, Malkin, and Green, they got 67 home runs between the four of them. And that's actually better than nine SEC teams. So just the four of them put together are out hitting nine other SEC teams. Kind of nuts. I in no way want to rain on the Arkansas parade, but I will point out, looking at the RPI rankings, they are the third ranked SEC team in the RPI. They did not have to play Florida in the regular season. And you can make the argument they lost the series to the two best teams in the conference they did play with Alabama and Missouri. Do you think that this is an Arkansas team that's a legit candidate to go to Oklahoma City? I think when it comes down to postseason play, they're going to be fine through regionals. And depending on where their matchup is in super regionals, that's where the road's going to get a little bit bumpy, right? Because that's where your competition is going to come. Yeah, I just think that Arkansas is good. It's all about confidence when it comes to the postseason. And right now they're rolling. They've had some really good wins. Um, they've had some tough, tight fights that they've had to be in. And so the key for me with Arkansas is going to be whether Autumn Storms can pitch and can she be consistent? We know Mary Half is amazing. I mean, she's got a 1.39 ERA and a 187 opposing, opposing batting average. So she is doing awesome. But the key for me is Autumn Storms. Is she going to be able to be healthy enough to take them and really counteract Mary Half? Mary Half up in the zone, Autumn Storms down in the zone, and they're a great complement to one another, but she has to be healthy. Yeah, I think Tom and I are both in agreement to that. And I, I was assume most people are because I feel like the story with this year has been the pitching duos. You know, Alabama's got Fouts and Kilfoyle. UCLA has Faramo and Garcia. Oklahoma has Juarez and Sale. I mean, they're all of the contenders seem to have these two arms they can rely on. Arkansas has that, but if Storms isn't 100%, I, I don't see them as a viable contender to, to contend for a national championship or maybe even make OKC, like you said. Yeah, it's all going to depend on where you end up in the seating. And it's crazy to think that, you know, that um, teams within the same league will or same conference will not play in the first round. But that does not mean that they cannot match up in supers. And I think that's where things get sticky, depending on where you seed out is that potential tough matchup in super regionals. Which is the way it ends up pretty much a lot, you know, a lot of years uh, to that super regional matchup is a lot. of It's not necessarily the top eight that made make Oklahoma City. It's who has the best matchup in those super regionals um, to where that works out. Speaking of which, a team that usually gets a pretty good matchup and it, sometimes it's against an SEC team is Florida. Um, they have a chance if they sweep Texas A&M this weekend to um, to share the SEC title. Uh, what do you think of the Gators right now? They're rolling. And I feel like they're kind of flying under the radar with all the hype that Arkansas has got going on. And then just some of the other things that are happening within the SEC. I feel like Florida has just kind of stayed consistent and steady and not really gotten anybody's attention, but they are doing so well. And I, I mean, Elizabeth Hightower for me is the make or break for them. She does such a great job in the circle. Um, and she is carrying the load for them. She's pitched 126 of their innings with a 1.5 ERA. And so for me, Elizabeth Hightower doing a really good job in the circle. Natalie Lugo, though, right behind her, pairing up with her really nicely. So for me, they are amazing in the circle, but then they have the best fielding percentage. So they don't make a ton of errors. And 
at the plate, they're very consistent, not too high, not too low, just very consistent. And then speed on the base paths as well. So it's a, it's the kind of Florida team that we're used to, but maybe not as much power as what we expected when you look at the lineup. See, what's interesting to me about Florida and why I said uh, earlier as we talked to Jenny Dalton Hill that I thought they would lose a game to Texas A&M is I feel like every week for the last month, we have seen Florida turn out a stinker. You know, even last weekend, you know, they won the two games. They were great wins. They showed why Florida's in the mix every year. The loss was a run rule in which they were never really in the game, but they had the lead early after Hannah Adams hit a home run. You know, they lost to South Carolina. South Carolina is not good at all. And to lose in Gainesville to that team was a real surprise. So I feel like it is hard for me to believe in Florida knowing that they're really good, but also knowing that despite that talent, they can turn out performances like that. Well, and I think we've seen those stinkers, as you called them, by a lot of teams. And what I mean, the grind of the SEC is just so hard. Luckily, the SEC coaches did not approve a four-game schedule like some of the other conferences did. Can you imagine SEC no. playing four games? No, thank that, you. I would cry. It would be terrible. But, <laughs> even if and one, even if one other, didn't count, I wouldn't right? want to do it. No. Well, and Pass. all the other conferences that have approved those four-game schedules are hating it. They all don't like it. But at the time, nobody knew how many games they were going to be able to get in. If they were, So I understand why they did it. But they're right now that that four game series has had to be played because one of them, one of them is a double header, which is terrible. It's so hard. So, um, yeah, I think Florida does have the potential to lay an egg like they have in the past. Um, but they actually have allowed the fewest amount of home runs, which is what Texas A&M relies on is the long ball. And so if they're not able to get the ball out of the park, that changes things for Texas A&M. Let's talk for a minute about the team that unfortunately uh, for the two of us got uh, eliminated from uh, a chance to win the regular season SEC this weekend, but number one in the RPI. So that nationally they may be the best team in the conference and that's Alabama, the sweep in Georgia, uh, what, do you, what do you think of the Crimson Tide right now, and especially Montana Fouts in the circle? Well, everybody knows I love Montana Fouts. I was able to work with her when she was in travel ball. She's one of my favorite people in the world. So her in the circle, I am always a big fan, a huge cheerleader for her in the circle. My big question for Alabama fans is Lexi Kilfoyle, because we've talked about those pitching duos. It's going to come down to who's number two. And you know that you've got a great arm in Goodman, but can she last? going the distance in the rest of the season if you don't gain Kilfoyle back. But Alabama off to a really good run after that rough series at Florida. Now a seven-game win streak, two of them against Louisiana. That was huge. And then to beat Georgia, I think everybody um, put a feather in the cap of Georgia when they beat Oklahoma. But now beating beating Georgia is kind of like, okay, well, if we can beat Georgia, then we can beat Oklahoma, which is probably not a fair way to do it. But I know that's how I would always look at things like, well, they beat them. So maybe we can do that too. So, um, but Kaylee Tao, Bailey Hemphill, those are the two names that just stick out for me. They're doing a really good job. Um, Bailey Hemphill, I mean, we've heard Coach Murphy say she has an unslumpable swing, but the problem is they're walking her a lot. So she's not getting a chance to do as much as I know Bama fans would like to see her do. But for me, it was kind of odd to see in that 13 pregame win that Tao and Hemphill were really quiet. That was unique. But then the bottom of the order or the other hitters in the order, Katie Sides, Savannah Woodard, and Maddie Morgan came through with a lot of good production. So 
that's the thing that's cool as well. Fouts um, in the circle has been very constant. Goodman stepped up, done a really good job, got that run rule win. And then, uh, but I want to see Kilfoyle. I need to see her back in the circle for Bama to be able to run really far through the postseason. Uh, I think this is a good time for me to, uh, to ask about uh, yesterday. I felt somewhat attacked on, on the Twitter uh, by our good friend, Jen Schroeder, who uh, from the paradise of Hawaii decided to, to come at me because I, because we were, we were talking about uh, Alabama still had an opportunity to share the SEC championship at that time. Uh, and she, from the Bruin bubble said that UCLA, we don't celebrate shared championships and I then made the point that I think it's tougher to win the SEC than it is to win the Pac-12. Um, and then the, the point was made, well, the same two teams have won the conference since 2008, so it can't be that difficult. I would say that it's maybe not since 2008 has it been the case, but I would say in the last five to seven years, it's been tougher to win the SEC than the Pac-12 because there's just such a deeper overall roster of teams that can win. So you having played in the Pac-12, and then I know you're you're you know plugged into the SEC. I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Well, I think sharing a title is like kissing your sister. So I'm say that that's not anything I would ever want to do. I mean, when it comes to the '95 championship, we lost to UCLA in the championship game, but then that was actually taken back. And so in the in the record books, there's just an asterisk. And I'm like, no, that's not okay. So sharing is not something I have ever been good at. I want it all or you can just have it. So um, when it comes to seeding, that's different. There is no such thing as a shared line. So seeding gives somebody the advantage. But when it comes to SEC versus Pac-12, I think softball's gotten better around the entire country. When the SEC first started, it wasn't good and the Pac-12 rolled through it all. And as we've gone through it, you see ACC teams now, that conference has gotten better. SEC is amazing. You've got Pac-12 has stayed pretty good throughout. Um, but is it harder to win the SEC than it is to win the Pac-12? That's your question, right? Yes. Here's the problem with it, as I'll throw my two cents in there. It, it changes every year because with the Pac-12, you know, it's called the Pac-12. There are nine teams that play softball. So everybody's playing everybody. You know the schedule you're going to get. Just the locations change. In the SEC, you could be the team that schedules a road trip at Arkansas and hosting Florida, or you could be the team that opens conference play playing, you know, 10, 11, 12, and 13 in the league. So, I mean, it, it does change every year, which makes it a tough question to answer. And, but, and the buys. You sure. have buys in your schedule as well. So – You've got four teams that you don't play. So depending on if you great draw, play one, two, and three that year, you're off to, hey, maybe we can win it in the regular season. But I think the tournament is always where it all gets shaken out because you play everybody to win it all. So uh, and then the, the other reason why I would I, I give the SEC the, the edge is, and again, this is, hasn't always been the case. Maybe as late as, you know, 2014, 2015, it was still this case, but it has definitely changed that I think there are times, if you're an elite team, if you're UCLA or Washington, there's still two to three. Or Arizona, you forgot. Arizona, I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I really did mean to put them in there too. Good. But if you're one of those teams, you can roll out the helmets and sweep a couple series in the Pac-12. 
that, you know, that there's some really not good teams. I'm going to say the same is true for the SEC this year. I, I disagree because, you know, Mississippi State, bad. Not, 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 not a good team. But they have Mia Davidson and, and Falalua and a, an offense that on a given day can go off on you. South Carolina, bad. Beat Florida once. You know, Ole Miss, who we thought was going to be bad, ends up being number six. And they're, they're actually a pretty legit team. Auburn, not great, but they have two really good pitchers that could just shut you down. So I think it is very. You, there aren't really those type of weekends in the SEC that there are maybe in the Pac-12. And I'll and I will give you your opinion. I know that there were teams that we could roll through in the Pac-12. You know, 25 years ago, that you can't roll through anymore. While they may not be the kind where you you can close your eyes and win, they're they're competitive. And just like you were saying, they can take one. That's that's the truth in the Pac-12 too. So. I don't know that I can get on that side of the fence with you. I might be able to sit on the fence with you, but I don't think I can jump onto that bandwagon and say SEC wins for hardest to win hands down. So sorry. That, be, and like I said, I just, I felt attacked by our friend Jen Schroeder. I didn't, well, I didn't. She's, I didn't she's a Bruin through and through and don't get me wrong. I'm a wildcat <laughs> through and through as well. But I'm a little bit older, so maybe time has softened my like, aggressiveness. But um, now, that, that being said, it's not that I want Alabama to share a title. I, I want Alabama to win the outright title, but that wasn't possible last weekend. It, you know, we were at the point where share was the best we could do. I would rather that than nothing. You would rather share? I, the yeah. tie goes to the reigning champion. So I would say, yeah, we still what? hold on to the belt. I don't want to share. There it. was there was still a scenario uh, as of I, I don't even remember which day where uh, Alabama could, could share the, the title one. with just Arkansas and been the number one overall seed. Right, um, which was you know that that it is all a moot point now. <laughs> Thank well, you. Let, well, let me LSU. add this to let me yeah, add this to let me add this to the whole discussion. So I will tell you, Jen and I have talked about this in the Pac-12. If you won the regular season title, more likely, more than likely, you would not win the national championship. So there would be, if you wanted that, I would much rather have a national championship than a, than a conference tournament. So. Oh, 100%. See, I like this. I wish we yes. could do it in person, but you know, this is good too over the zoom. Jenny Dalton Hill joining us here <laughs> as we steal second. And speaking of winning, let's talk awards. Okay. okay. SEC player of the year. We are convinced it is down to three players, Kayla Kowalik, Braxton Burnside, Bailey Hemphill. In my opinion, that order should go Kowalik, Hemphill, Burnside. Right now, who would get your vote for SEC Player of the Year? Kowalik. She, she's, leading the, she's leading the SEC in one, two, three, four, five, five different categories, including batting average, runs scored, hits, total bases, She's got 12 home runs. She's 19 for 21 in stolen bases. She's their starting catcher. And when she's not catching, she plays center field. I mean, she does it all. And there was actually a stat that came out today on our seven innings podcast um, chat that the last time someone hit over 500 in SEC play was Kayla bro. Oh, wow. So, I'm just going to throw that out there that it's been a while. Um, it was it was Kayla Bro and Chelsea Bramlett from Mississippi State were the last players to do that. 
I don't know. Her numbers are just really impressive. I know you're right. She's not as scary of a hitter as Bailey Hemphill, 100%. I would much rather throw to Kowalik than I would to Bailey Hemphill, but Kowalik's going to hurt me more if she gets on. Um, Hemphill's not going to steal bases, but she can definitely put one out a whole lot more times than Kowalik can. Burnside, she's tough. She's a shortstop, so I know she's defensively solid. She covers a lot of ground. She's super even keels, very stoic out there at short. But um, I mean, those three, I don't think you can go, you can go wrong with any of them. Um, it just depends on like what you were saying, Kentucky's going to be middle of the pack. Florida is going to be at the top. So Hannah Adams could have a chance. Um, Burnside may have the best chance because of where they're finishing. But uh, the problem is with, you got to throw to them. They still mm -hmm. You have to throw to him and Hemphill right now Tao is not backing her up to a point where you have to throw to her what about pitcher who do you think is the best pitcher in the conference or who's going to be pitcher of the year because that may be two different things um pitcher of the year I think I really like the way Ashley Rogers is doing but to your point they're finishing middle of the pack so I don't know that she's going to get the nod I actually go with Mary Half in this situation I think it's interesting because to me, as I was power ranking things, I had Mary half behind Montana Fouts and behind Ashley Rogers going into this weekend. I think Mary half might've taken it with her performance this past weekend against LSU. Well, she leads the league in innings pitched in wins. She's tied in wins. Don't get me wrong. So she's tied in wins, but she also has the most appearances. I mean, she's had to prove herself time and time again, where some of those other pitchers have had some help and relief where autumn storms has been out of the circle. So they've had to just rely on her arm. And I think Mary half has proven herself. Yeah. And I, I think to a point that was also a big reason why you could make the case for Montana Fouts, because I think she's been pitching her best ball without Killfoil available, but I mean, you know, Mary Half <laughs> carried the load this weekend with a, you know, a, probably a 60, 70%, maybe autumn storms this weekend at best. And she was unstoppable and she secured Arkansas a conference title. So it, it is an interesting award. What I love about it is usually we know, right? I mean, a couple of years ago, we knew Abby Cheek was going to be SEC player of the year. Uh, SEC pitcher of the year was kind of up in the air, but we felt pretty confident Sarah Cornell was going to win it. We knew Montana Fouts is going to be freshman of the year this year. I have no idea. Well, and I also think that when Montana was stumbling there mid-year, Kilfoyle was there to pick her up where Montana does a really good job when her back is against the wall and she knows there's no one there to bail her out. I've seen her come back in the difficult situations when she was before college and just watch her mow through lineups knowing that she had to get it done because the next one couldn't and that's maybe where the mindset is for her right now knowing that Kilfoyle's not there and she's got to just come out and perform and she really is doing a great job right now. Jenny Dalton Hill joining us here as we steal second. JDH a couple more things before we let you go. Bedlam this weekend what are the odds that Oklahoma state actually has a prayer to not only win a game, but win two games? Because of course, as we record as per tradition, Oklahoma is playing on a Tuesday night. They currently lead Wichita state one, nothing in the second. It's probably going to get worse. No offense to Wichita state. That's a good team, but Oklahoma is going to win that ball game. Do the cowgirls have any shot this weekend? Well, the last time Oklahoma state beat Oklahoma, was April 27th, 2011. So um, 
Oklahoma, since that point, is 24-0. and 0. I'm guessing Oklahoma State does not have a chance against Oklahoma this weekend. To, to bring it back to our earlier point, the Pac-12, much harder to win than the Big 12. But there has been, there has been more um, parity within that conference this season. I mean, Oklahoma State, definitely good. They've had a better turnout when it comes to that league. It is definitely not just Oklahoma that is going to make the postseason and give it a run. You're going to see some runs out of that out of that league to be able to push forward. But when it comes to home run power and defensive, I mean, and out of the circle, talk about a complete team. I think we're looking honestly at it as long as they don't match up before the finals. I think you're looking at an Oklahoma UCLA championship series. I think a lot of people agree with you and a lot of people want that to happen. Also to your point about the big 12, what's interesting is you're exactly right. Like Kansas is, is better for sure. Iowa state is better for sure. I think the only team you could argue that's truly regressed since 19 is Texas tech, but the problem is they're all better in a year where Oklahoma could be generationally good. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. The, the window to beat Oklahoma was unfortunately 2020. Because yeah, Texas, and, I think was going to beat them last COVID year. And COVID won, right? Like yeah. COVID beat Oklahoma. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, predetermined sites came out uh, last week. Um, 20 possible predetermined. All the pretty much everybody that's going to be a top 16 seed is is in that 20. So it ended up being kind of much to do about nothing. But what was your, your thoughts about the predetermined sites coming out? I think what's really cool is that Clemson put in for it and them being, I mean, technically it's their second year, but really 2020, I'm going to negate it because there was no opportunity for Clemson to really show out in that year in their first year of competition. So for Clemson, not only to be in the conversation, but also to be a potential host, that to me is really cool. And I think they have a really good shot of hosting and being able to just make a run because they are off to such a hot start. I mean, I think they just have four losses on the year. Um, and for them to be able to clinch a regular season ACC title over Florida State, um, I mean, that's amazing. And then you add Duke into that conversation. So um, when I look at it, yeah, you've got a lot of the repeat offenders that we will anticipate hosting. But then I wonder what the committee is going to do when it comes to travel. Are they going to pick sites that reduce travel? Because you saw out west. Arizona and Arizona State are on that list. There's no way both of them hold or host, I don't think, a regional because they're too close to one another. You need to spread out the regionals so that you can have less travel amongst your 64 teams. So that's the unique piece is how are they going to spread out the regionals to prevent travel and prevent, you know, spread? I don't know. It's going to be unique to see how it all pans out. It, I think it comes down to what does the committee put as the priority? Is it less travel or is it making it fair for your seeds? And that's, that's a question that only the committee will be able to answer. And I think next week on the seven innings podcast, we're going to have that committee chair on to talk about that selection. That's a good plug right there. JDH joining us here on the out of the box podcast. I'll be excited to hear what uh, what the committee chairman says because we heard an interview with him earlier this year on In the Circle, and it seemed like most of the things that were said immediately changed the next week. So we'll see we'll see what's happening this time around. It should be fun. Yeah, welcome to politics. 
that's uh that's jenny dalton hill joining us here on the out of the box podcast jdh i unfortunately we're not going to see you at the sec tournament but we sure hope we see you in the ncaa tournament at some point this year because we've seen you once we've had you on the show twice let's make sure we see you twice in person that's right well i'll be in oklahoma city at the on the studio crew so come out make sure alabama makes it to the world series and i will make sure we'll, we'll do dinner after guys luckily your team your team didn't eliminate us from the ncaa tournament so we don't know you as state so but we would love to go out and hang out with you anyway awesome thanks you guys have a good one Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. Howdy. Hello. It's time to round third. I'm Gray Robertson. That is Tom Canterbury. Tom, we are nearing the end. I've got two more shows, including this one, to present my findings to the world for Bracketology. It is just really, it's a weird year. It's a hard year to evaluate a lot of these teams. Yeah, it's tough. Again, we've talked about it all year long, but the fact that different teams are playing, you know, different rules, basically, as far as how many non-conference games they were able to play, uh, different conferences are playing four-game series, three-game series, four-game series, but only counting three of the games. Uh, there's a lot of different things that are going on, so it makes it a really tough ask to bring that all together into one tournament and seed everybody fairly. So it's going to be very interesting to see how, uh, how things roll out. Shall I present my top 16? Please. All right, Tom. Number one for the second week in a row, UCLA. That can change this weekend with Oklahoma traveling to Oklahoma State this weekend. The Sooners are my number two. Surprise, surprise. My number three is still Florida. I believe that head-to-head has to matter, so I've got them ahead of number four, Alabama, who is ahead of the SEC champions, number five, Arkansas, who move up to that spot because they won the SEC. Number six is Florida State, seven, Oklahoma State, eight into the top eight, Arizona State, nine, Washington, 10, LSU, 11, Missouri, 12, Tennessee, 13, Arizona, 14, Clemson, 15, Oregon, and moving in for the first time since my first bracketology, Kentucky at the 16. There are four teams not named, including one that I'm sure caught your ear. Texas, Michigan, Virginia Tech, Georgia, specifically Texas. I do not have Texas as a top 16 seed. I think so. That makes me the first question would be, do you think the 16 seeded teams are going to be the 16 host teams? I really don't think it, I think it's going to be those 16. I don't think that the travel is going to be that big of an issue overall. I think it's going to be seated somewhat usually. I think it's going to be the one seed and the two seeds are going to be based on seed, not geography, and, and no, no same conference teams playing each other. And then three and four are going to be, you know, ge- geographically how they can get there. But I think it's going to be as pretty normal as possible. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to abstain from answering the question (laughs) because i I don't know i know i know how they are seeding the top 16 and that is what i'm predicting i have given up trying to guess how this hosting thing is going to work because every time i think i read the word right it goes left so we'll see what's up the thing about florida and alabama again the precedent is if you look at 2019 
Alabama won four out of five games against Florida, won the conference, won everything but the SEC champ- tournament championship, and Florida was still the five seed and Alabama was the eight. That year, head-to-head didn't matter. What makes you think this year head-to-head will matter? I don't know. I That is my personal <laughs> belief. I am, right. It's the same thing I said in 2019, right? Every time we did this, I would say head-to-head has to matter. I think Alabama's resume right now is better than Florida's. I think the fact that Florida went to Tuscaloosa and won two out of three should be enough to keep the Gators ahead of Alabama. Will it be? I don't know. I that You can make the case, and many have, that Alabama should be ranked ahead of Florida in these seedings, and I understand that. It's just because of what I believe should be most important, and one of those things for sure is head-to-head. I've got Florida ahead of Alabama. I think the best-case scenario for Alabama is that they meet up with the Gators in the SEC tournament, have a chance to tie up the overall season series, and not leave any doubt. Because if those two teams are tied at two overall in the season series, I don't think it's a question that Alabama is a higher seed, a better seed than Florida. You think Alabama's ceiling is three, saying that because you look at it, say Alabama wins out, sweeps Ole Miss, wins the SEC tournament, remains the number one RPI team. Is there any way Alabama gets any higher than three? I don't think so. I I just think, I think everybody is pretty realistic about what the people want, what Mm -hmm. the, the paper says, what the eyes say. And that's that the two best teams in college softball are UCLA and Oklahoma order them how you want. I think Oklahoma can pass UCLA with a sweep this weekend. Next weekend, UCLA plays Arizona. We'll see if they do enough to move back past Oklahoma, assuming the Sooners sweep Oklahoma state, which they have done for like the last decade as Jimmy (laughs) Galton Hill pointed out. So sure. I I just think the ceiling for the others quote unquote is three. Is LSU at number 10 based solely on their strength of schedule? Absolutely. Because that strength of schedule has given them the chance to earn as many RPI top 25 and top 50 wins as possible. And also to their credit, they would be lower, but they have the season series over Missouri And they have the season series over Tennessee. So that moved them up from, you know, kind of lower up to 10 because I had to move them ahead of Missouri and Tennessee because, you know, when the resumes are somewhat equal, when maybe LSU has only a slight advantage but has a lot of losses, head-to-head, again, has to matter. Sorry to sound like a broken record. As poorly as Georgia performed this past weekend, say they – is there a scenario that you can see them getting back into the top 16? Winning out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they can't lose a game to Mississippi State. I'll tell you that. Absolutely not. They, uh, well, the Georgia resume is, it's really tough. Uh, 29 and 17 overall, 7 and 14 in conference play. Strength of schedule of four. That's good. It's really good. Mm-hmm. I'll give you credit. Yeah. Three RPI top 10 wins. That's good. That's the same number the Washington has. But, Only eight RPI top 25 wins again, same number Washington has, but a lot less than a lot of the other SEC teams in the mix. Only 10 RPI top 50 wins. That is way low comparatively to some of the SEC teams vying to host. They've got the second worst loss on the docket, Longwood RPI 128 in the country. I think the win against Oklahoma can do a lot. I don't think it can survive what Georgia has done since. I mean, 
after winning that game, they got run ruled by OU in a game they weren't competitive whatsoever. They lost two of three in Knoxville to Tennessee. They got swept at home by Alabama, and they go too starkful this weekend. I mean, they have to sweep that to even, in my opinion, remain remotely in the conversation to be a top 16. Let's go over the possible Super Regional and World Series if everything goes chalk with these matchups. Yes, so right now the Super Regionals matchups would look like this. Number one, UCLA and 16, Kentucky. First off, Tom, I'm Mm. intrigued to say the least. Two, Oklahoma, 15, Oregon. That one is fun because Oregon head coach Melissa Lombardi came from Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So ah, fun stuff there. I've got three Florida, 14 Clemson, four Alabama, and 13 Arizona. A bit of a change from what I had earlier in the week, but uh, that was – I moved down Arizona just a bit in my rankings. And, Tom, I I think that would be a really good Supers matchup for the Crimson Tide. It would be a lot of recent history between the Tide and the Wildcats. And and if you look at it, I I do – I think that's a favorable matchup for Alabama, but it would be one that you wouldn't – You'd have to you'd have to come out and play well if you're the Crimson Tide for sure. Five Arkansas, twelve Tennessee. Uh, that is the kind of matchup as Jenny Dalton Hill was talking about that could really trip you up if you're Arkansas. Yeah, especially you don't want considering. That if you're Arkansas. Yeah, mm-hmm. and especially considering they did not play this year, so they haven't seen Ashley Rogers yet. Yeah, Arkansas is going to want to play a team that doesn't have an elite pitcher, if at all possible. 6-11, I've got Florida State and Missouri. 7-10, and 10, Oklahoma State and LSU. And 8-9, just for fun, Arizona State hosting Washington because wow. the social media battle would be quite something. So That would be a thing for yes. sure. So potentially we're talking, you know, the following in the World Series. If everybody went, if it was chalk, you'd have UCLA, Arizona State, day one, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Florida State, and uh, and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Wow. Not by design. That's just how it came out. It would be all rivalries all the time in Oklahoma City there on day one. That's, uh, that's nuts. Uh, I promise you, because the way I do this is I, I seed. I don't look at anything else. I do it the same way I scored the D1 Fantasy League. I go one team sure. at a time. I, I try and I almost do it like the CFP committee does where I just move one team up, move one team down, then compare those two teams, you know, and try and set mm-hmm. everything up. And I looked at those world series matchups and thought, Holy crap, what a win for ESPN. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. That's a, that's really good. I, if I'm Alabama, any scenario where you don't have to play UCLA or Oklahoma day one in Oklahoma city is a win. And you're playing a team in Arkansas that you've beaten twice this year. At least we'll see what happens in the SEC tournament if they match up. But if I think if you're Alabama, a possible Super Regional against Arizona and a first-round game in the World Series against Arkansas, sign me up for that right now. So that is my bracketology. Tom, do you have any other questions you would like to ask? Is this maybe a year, and this is just in general, that maybe the conference tournaments have even more pull than they normally do or less because – Maybe some of these teams, okay, this is the fifth or sixth time they played. Uh, not just the SEC, but in general in the other conferences too. I, you know, it's tough. I, I'm not sure how to answer that question. Because here's the problem with all of this. There is 
no precedent for what to do in a year like this because we've right. never seen so many conferences have such unbalanced schedules. Do I believe that Michigan has the talent to be a top 16 seed? Yeah, I, I think they could be. I think that pitching staff could be. I have zero evidence to back that up. I mean, let me tell you Michigan's resume, Tom. Spoiler alert, it's not that good. 119 strength of schedule, 31 in the RPI, zero top 10 wins, zero top 25 wins, zero top 10 or top 25 RPI games played. And they are three and one this year against the RPI top 50, taking three of four against Northwestern. I think Michigan has the talent, but there's just no proof in the pudding right now. And that's just the way we're all going to have to operate this year, pretty much until the NCAA tournament starts. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be interesting uh, to see how that's factored in one Michigan's fault. It was the big 10 administration's fault to make the decision that they made. Uh, so, and the problem is similar to what happened in, in football was I think they made that decision thinking everybody else was going to follow along suit and they did not. Mm. So that yeah, they, they look bad. That does bring us to Michigan this weekend because yes the resume is light but they have a chance to get some good wins as we take a look at some of the big games coming up this weekend Wednesday we've got Tennessee at Mississippi State a COVID rescheduling doubleheader Tom oh I pointed out Michigan because they go to Minnesota they will play four times if Michigan wants to host win those games Try and leave no doubt. If you can go seven and one against Minnesota Northwestern, the two probable Big Ten tournament teams, then uh, take advantage of that for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Also, you've got Arizona at Oregon four times, Baylor, Texas facing off three times this weekend, and of course, Mm -hmm. Bedlam. What will happen? Eh, Oklahoma will probably Mm -hmm. sweep, but who knows? Right. Yeah. That's amazing. I did not know that when JDH said that they haven't beat them since 2011. That's crazy. I mean, I knew it had been a while since they'd lost. I knew they were dominating the overall series. I did not realize just how one-sided it had become. That's nuts. And again, this is a really good Oklahoma State team that probably is not going to have a prayer this weekend. (laughs) I mean, you're to the point of how many are going to be run rules. Those are the big non-SEC games coming up this weekend, or at least non major games because we pick the major games don't we tom of course always we pick them we eat them we drink them that is the theme of this week's heading home no off the wall because we've got picks tom's hungry and nate's thirsty coming up on the other side oh just looking forward i've been looking forward to this one for a couple weeks i'm ready to roll It is time to debut some segments. It's time for me to keep gaining on you and picks. And no, it is time. Yeah, well, man. <laughs> I'm not no, super no, confident. No horse races this weekend. Uh, well, either way, it's time to head home. Just like Medina Spirit was oh. down the stretch at the Kentucky Derby. We'll be right back here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It is time to head home. Big show today. We started at the plate, talked about Alabama sweeping Georgia off their feet. 
and uh, just continuing the hot play that's been going on the last couple weeks. Then we advanced to first, broke down everything in the SEC, including Arkansas, securing their first SEC regular season title in program history. We stole second with JDH. We rounded third with Bracketology. And now, Tom, it is time to head home. How do you feel about making some selections? Uh, not probably as good as I felt a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I'm still holding on to a good lead, so uh, I'm okay with it. But do you see me creeping back up in the rearview mirror? <laughs> no, uh, no golf tournaments or horse races this week, so it's all softball. Well, Let's I see missed, what happens. I missed the Masters, but whatever. <laughs> well, so did I. So it's okay. we maybe we'll do the PGA Championship at some point. I don't know. We've got you know the postseason coming up. That's what really matters. But either way, of course. So. An update on the standings. Tom has 20. He got one this week. Alabama sweep over Georgia. I got two. I have 17 overall. I correctly predicted Alabama sweep over Georgia and the Kentucky Derby because, you know, Bob Baffert, just the goat. I mean, the man knows what he's doing. He's the Nick Saban of horse trainers. That's we've, (laughs) we've discovered that. So let's begin. We start, Tom, with Georgia at Mississippi State. I will be going first as I won the week. It's two straight weeks going first, Tom. Wow. And I'm going to take Georgia two out of three. Georgia's not playing well right now, but Mississippi State is not good. So I'm going to take the team that I think has the potential to play a higher quality of softball overall than the other. I think I, I just have a hard time seeing Mary Wilson Avant not turning it around this weekend to at least get one or two games. So I've got the Bulldogs from Athens, Georgia, winning two out of three. Uh, as, as we talked, I was just very unimpressed. I thought it was an uninspired performance by Georgia. And uh, if you do that at home, I don't know how you get that turned around to go on the road. Uh, Mississippi State getting a road conference series victory, maybe a little bit of positive momentum. I'm also going to take the Bulldogs. I'm going to take the Bulldogs of Starkville 2-1. No doubt about it. I'm ready to be hurt again by Mississippi State. Speaking of a hurt... A lot of people were hurt, Tom, when you made your prediction about South Carolina. Turns out you nailed this one. The Gamecocks are at Kentucky here this weekend. The Fighting Enigmas are coming off of a sweep on the road, which means they're not going to sweep this weekend. I've got Kentucky two out of three. I think I do too. I want to pick Kentucky to sweep, but I just I, I can't trust them that far. Uh, but yeah, I think they're better in South Carolina and hopefully they'll keep the momentum rolling, and I'll go with the, the Wildcats in this one, two out of three. Next up, Missouri at Tennessee. This series holds a lot of water. Missouri currently fourth in the SEC standings. Tennessee is fifth. So who gets that by? That's what's at stake here this weekend in Knoxville. And also, you know, in the midweek with Tennessee playing Mississippi State twice, but certainly for the most part this weekend – We'll see how Missouri bounces back from that Florida series loss. I'm going to take Missouri two out of three, but this is the pick I feel least confident in. I'm going to take Missouri. It's based fully on gut and my thought that Coach Anderson is going to have that team ready to bounce back, but I could easily see the opposite happen this weekend. Going on the road and facing facing twice, I am I think I'm going to say Tennessee wins two out of three. Yeah, it's – yeah, facing facing Ashley Rogers twice, I think Ashley can get them both. Um, so I'll do Tennessee two out of three at home. 
Texas A&M at Florida. The Gators need a sweep to share the conference title with Arkansas. And this would be a true share because they did not match up in the regular season. I said it with JDH. I'm going to stick with it. I think this is Arkansas's magic year. I think Florida has a stinker and loses one to Texas A&M after Haley Lee has a home run of some kind in the sixth or seventh inning. I've got Florida two out of three. I'm very prepared to be wrong, but I just, I don't think we're going to see a share this year. If Texas A&M is to win a game, it will be because Haley Lee has a really good game. But that being said, I mean, this is the type of series Florida wins and sweeps in, in this type of situation, and I'm going to say Florida sweeps them. Look at that. Some differences this week. I, I don't yeah. have a good feeling about mine. You seem confident <laughs> about yours, so <laughs> we'll see what that means. Auburn right. at LSU. At LSU in May. But also Auburn. But at, Auburn has nothing to win, so who, who knows? Here's the thing. I feel like Auburn's pitching – is a bad matchup for LSU. Like Shelby Lowe can shut down this LSU offense twice because they just, they run so hot and cold and, and they don't make the adjustments you want to see. And mm-hmm. we just saw a pitcher with, with a pretty similar style of Mary half, just destroy LSU over a weekend. I'm going to take LSU two one, but I think Shelby Lowe beats them once. I think I'm kind of along the same lines as you. I'm going to say LSU wins a two one. Uh, by the way, interesting to see a battle of Bulldogs and Tigers this weekend here in the SEC. Just everything all <laughs> coming together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Works out well. And then we've got the Battle of the Oklahoma Schools, our one non-conference selection, Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. A couple weeks ago, I went out on a limb and said Texas was going to win a game against Oklahoma. They proceeded to be run-ruled three times. As we record, Oklahoma just went to Wichita State and won 14 to three and five. That is a Wichita State team that was reappearing in the top 25 polls today. Yeah. That's a good team. And they just got smoked at home. Oklahoma is going to sweep this. I don't think all three are run rules. I think Oklahoma State has a chance to win a game at some point, but because they haven't in forever, Oklahoma will find a way to win that game that's dicey. And I think the Sooners sweep. I think maybe because I think we both definitely think that Oklahoma is going to sweep. Maybe we should do how many run rules there are as as the official pick of this series. I will go I will go with one. Really? Yeah, I think you've got like a a run rule, like an eight one, and then like a five three or something like that. I'm gonna say three run rules. Good lord, Thomas. What in the world? That's that's that is an indictment on the Big 12 if that's what happens. A big indictment on the Big 12. <laughs> what have I been doing all year? Indicting the Big 12. So that is that will certainly fall right along with that. Wow. All right. Tom Canterbury <laughs> passing the LSATs and just totally coming after the Big 12 <laughs> conference and Bob Bowlesby. We'll see who holds firm this week and mm-hmm. uh, who wins the final series of the regular season for Alabama in this pick. We both nailed Alabama last week, so I don't know what's going on in the world. Ole Miss at Alabama Thursday, Friday, Saturday, folks. It's not random. It's so the facility can get an early jump start on preparing for the SEC tournament. I'm going to go with an Alabama sweep. I just – it was what I I think Alabama needed. Uh, They got it last week. I – 
think they would like to finish strong. Um, we'll see what game three looks like, you know, depending on what's at stake. If you're Patrick Murphy, do you, you know, maybe throw a Sarah Cornell out there or, or Jayla Torrance, you know, depending on what you've locked into, because I think right now Alabama is pretty secure as at worst five in the national seating. So we'll see what that looks like, but I do expect Alabama to sweep this weekend just because I think playing at Rhodes, a lot of these Ole Miss players have never experienced that or anything really close to that. I think it's going to be tough for them. Uh, I think the tide takes all three. I, I agree. I'm going to go Alabama with the sweep as well. It'll be interesting to see, like you said, if Alabama goes with the normal Fouts, Goodman slash Kilfoyle slash whoever, game two, Fouts in game three, or if you know if the seating for the SEC, because that's the only thing you can really control is your SEC seating. If you are a top four SEC, if you've absolutely locked everything in, by the third game, if you throw uh, somebody else in that third game and give Montana a day off, we'll see how that that goes. But um, I don't think that really plays into who win, ends up winning uh, because I think any of the pitchers Alabama has can start and beat Ole Miss. So I'm, I'm going to go Alabama with a sweep as well. So those are picks. And now, Tom, I have some great news. Uh, lots, actually, a multitude of great news. First of all, no off the wall this week. Applause. Wow. I would like to rise up and thank everyone for being rational after Alabama dominates a team on the road in a sweep. Thank you for not complaining about anything. I'm, I'm really pleased. That? I mean, how much can you complain about like a 13-3 win? I figured there'd be somebody that would do it because there was only one extra base hit or something like that. But no, overall, I thought it was a great uh, response to all that. Uh, and I would like for people to continue that as we move forward because the games are not going to get any easier second time ever we have not done off the wall the first was after the texas a&m series in 2019 when alabama lost a game to drop to gasp 33 and one or whatever let me clutch mm. my pearls luckily <laughs> no one freaked out you know good to see that happen this weekend if it happened after all the other sweeps that'd be nice but you know it will take yeah. the one when sure. we can get it but no off the wall, Tom. So that frees up more time to introduce a new segment with a guest joining us now for his second appearance on the show ever. You know him as SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan, except on this show, he will be known as Nate, the proprietor of Nate's Thirsty. Nathan Sheehan, welcome to the show. Are you excited for the introduction of Nate's Thirsty to the world? Very excited. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Somewhere I am laughing that somewhere is now here. I can laugh <laughs> with you guys now instead of just in my car looking crazy to all the other drivers. <laughs> and, and also the man who came up with the idea for Tom's Hungry. That's true. That's true. I, I didn't want to you know, steal your thunder, but that's right. I think probably yes. that A&M trip, correct? I think the first A&M trip in 19. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, hey, you know, that, that might be a fun idea. And I know what's exactly... <laughs> Two years ago, almost today, that was probably my first appearance on the podcast for the SC tournament. Wow. See, look at that. It does come all full circle. <laughs> I'm not I, eating good barbecue now, but, you know, whatever. It's, yeah, yeah. I had a really good peppermint before this. And <laughs> by the way, we will be combining Tom's Hungry and Nate's Thirsty. So here's how this is going to work, listening audience. Tom will be the bus driver. He will be guiding us down on the tour of how this works. Nate and I are passengers. Nate will be talking about the things that he drank. I will be talking about a couple of the things I drank. I got more of the 
mixed drink portion. Nate went more beer and uh, Tom and I will talk about food. Nate also ate at a, a lot of these places as well because you know, we and all got to hang out to sound like more. a drunk, Greg. Yes. I also ate too. I didn't just <laughs> drink and go home. Yes. Yeah. There was food consumed as well with, with the beers. Uh, it was a normal weekend. Don't worry. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Everybody's fine. We, yeah, were, we were there for work. <laughs> right. And we were in it at a reasonable hour because they shut down the, the, the city at 1130 too. So there was that. Some too. might say too reasonable. <laughs> right. Uh, so we'll, we'll start things off as far as, as the food on the Tom's Hungry portion. Uh, somebody, I'm not going to do a, a podium for this week. I'm just going to pick a, an overall winner. But definitely shout out the places we went. First, Gray and I went to Amici's, which was a uh, pizza and wings on Thursday night, which was very good. Uh, it went, I don't think it'd be something that would get on the podium overall, but it, I was I was perfectly happy with the uh, with the meat lovers pizza and the wings to go along with it, uh, and it was a good place to watch the beginning of the NFL draft. So I, I was I was happy with that. I had the cheese pizza with a little pesto drizzled on top, and I did have my first alcoholic <laughs> beverage of the weekend. Not in my lifetime. I'm 24, but. It was a really good one. I gave it eight and a half out of 10. The pontoon brewing new wave blonde ale. Really good. It was a strong Ooh. way to start things off. Strong. I wasn't aware I was supposed to rate these out of 10. Wow. Oh, that's what I did. <laughs> Cause I always do the most, Nate. You, you've uh, seen I, I, have, I have like three word descriptions for each of these. So <laughs> well, that, that worked. That's, that's perfect. Okay, you've hyped this too. up. I'm afraid <laughs> I'm gonna, off the walls, a favorite yeah. segment. I don't want to let people sure. down. You know? no, that, no, that's good. Uh, was, um, was all good all good was thursday yeah. correct that, right yeah, so we watched like the second half of the first round of the nfl draft right at so all. what what did you have at all good uh Nate, that you enjoyed well uh all good to describe to people it's it kind of i guess called a sports bar reminds me a lot of houndstooth in tuscaloosa just kind of a cool uh, relaxed vibe i don't it, but didn't, it was a little crowded but it wasn't like shoulder to shoulder uh mm-hmm. crazy but uh my goal knowing that i would have this segment ahead of time i tried to stick like just Athens beers so that basically meant Terrapin and Creature Comforts are kind of the two big ones in town uh, so mostly stuck to that so at All Good has started with a Terrapin Golden which is a golden ale uh, the notes there I have are light and easy drinking and it was perfect for kind of what we were doing just sitting outside the weather we were really lucked out in the weather by the way this weekend mm-hmm. both for the games and for the Nate's Thirsty portion of things here but yeah it was really fun sitting outside on the patio there just a really light easy drinking good starting beer and then went to the uh, basically complete opposite end of the spectrum from that. Got another Terrapin beer, but this one's the Hopsecutioner. And uh, judging from the title or the name of the beer, uh, very hoppy. I think it's a double IPA, maybe like a seven and a half percenter. So yeah, really bitter, hoppy kind of beer. You got to like that kind of thing, but I do. I've had it before. Really good. Really cool can design too. Terrapin always has really neat can designs. And then the last one I got there uh, was a Sweetwater 420. Sweetwater... I want to say it's out of Atlanta. I should have prepared more for my own segment, but uh, it's an extra pale ale, a pretty ubiquitous beer you find around the Southeast. You know, you can probably find it at Publix or something like that, but it's just a good solid go-to pale ale. Really good. So those are my three, Terrapin Golden, Terrapin Hopstitioner, and Sweetwater 420. Gray, what'd you have at All Good? Well, I drank a fat tire 
which is a hilarious sentence, but it was okay. What about the beer? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then I, you know, I wanted to see how my usual drink tasted around a lot of other places. I, you know, when we went out to dinner, I would have something off the actual cocktail menu, uh, a mixed drink of some kind, but I'm a big Jack and ginger guy. That'll be Jack Daniels and ginger ale for those who uh, don't like shortening things, I guess. And honestly, it was the worst one of the weekend. I, I gave it Ouch. seven out of 10. It just, it, the guy just kind of made it and gave it to me and said, be gone. And I went and that was it. It was, How uh, dare he? it was, mm. it, you know, doesn't it, he know who you are? <laughs> it seemed like he did not want to get any special shout out on the yeah, little did he know. Segment. Right. Did, did the hop executioner, did you have to like chew that? Was it that hoppy? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it was rough. Yeah, but I've had it before. That's kind of, I like it, but yeah, if, right. if, if you're not into that, you're not going to like it. But yeah, it was good. The, the next day we actually had to, you know, play softball during dinner time and stuff. So we, but we did do, we did do lunch. We were going to do last resort, but then we discovered they are not doing lunch during the weeks COVID situation there. So uh, we had to push last resort to later, which we will certainly talk about. Uh, but we went to uh, trapeze pub. I had a chicken bacon ranch sandwich that was really good. It was the ranch was went right to the edge of being overpowering without being overpowering, which is exactly the way I like it. So that was really good. The fries were good. I would like to have had just a regular uh, ketchup with the fries. Unfortunately, they had raspberry ketchup was like dipping your fries in jam. If that's a drawback, that'd be the only drawback of it. But overall, a really good sandwich at the uh, Trapeze Pub. Yeah, I I don't remember exactly what it was called. It was called Double Pig, maybe something like that. It was a pulled pork. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Double Pig. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had some like, green beans on there but that doesn't matter so uh but yeah it was really good i think the dipping so they had some really uh fancy it, dipping you guys had garlic aioli yeah I, I had like a blue cheese kind of thing it was basically just mm-hmm. blue cheese and mayo they just made it sound really fancy but it was good and then the drink i had the, the drink here honestly might have been my favorite i had over the weekend it's a mouthful it's uh, creature comforts athena paradiso ccr uh, it came in the little small glass, very good presentation. Super, it looked like Hawaiian punch. It was like super bright red, very tart, kind of fruity flavor to it. Really refreshing, which again, you're sitting outside. It was really hot out. So it was just a good, refreshing kind of outdoor kind of patio beer. You know what I mean? And it was literally right across the street from Creature Comforts, which we later tried to go to. But again, they yeah. came too early. But it was a really good beer. And yeah, really good sandwich too. So Trapeze was really fun. My trapeze order, I also had the chicken bacon ranch sandwich. I thought the ranch was it was incredible. And I thought the mix of the bacon and chicken and everything else that was involved with the sandwich, it was just perfect. Like all of the portions, like you said, Tom, were just perfectly compiled on mm-hmm. to this sandwich. And uh, I actually was a big fan of kind of the pretentious dipping sauces pretension you know what's wrong with a little pretension the garlic aioli with the fries was an incredible mix so i i really like that it was a really surprisingly awesome lunch because you never really know what you're getting when you go to a pub or, or something like that and i thought everything was fantastic my beer choice was the firemaker peach chattahooch tea just just really incredible uh, very sweet um, but kind of like Nate's refreshing. They had interesting glasses for all the beers and drinks that we had that we were given before, uh, before we ate our food. It was just, it was a really strong choice. I gave it nine out of 10 and I thought it was really good. There would have been weeks that that would have won Tom's hungry, but 
uh, there. It, it did not this this weekend. We will talk about that. Just a bit. I forgot that it also on Thursday night uh, is when we went to get Calzones, DP Doe. I got I got the sink eye from everybody else because I unknowingly <laughs> ordered something that was not immediately available. So we had to sit there and wait for a few minutes. But the fact that we had to wait actually made it after midnight before we ate the Calzones, which I think makes the Calzones even better. Yeah, the cold calzone is great, Tom. Thanks. That's that. a well sorry. <laughs> we had a microwave. You could have microwaved if you needed it. But overall, uh, again, it's that's one of those things. If you go, if you're in a college town and they have a late night calzone place, a DP dough, you got to go get some. It was uh, it was really good. I had the pepperoni one. I heard that my original order was not ready, so I called an audible. Yeah. The woman did not tell Tom, so I will no. I will not you know, put the blame on my broadcast partner there. So then we had to, we had to play on Friday. So we didn't want everything closing early. We weren't able to really do anything Friday after the game. Saturday uh, is when we ended up going after we played Saturday afternoon. Uh, we ended up going to last resort, which is the place that you, you get recommended. If, if you've never been to Athens, you got to go to last resort. Interesting uh, setup. Uh, we sat outside in little individual greenhouses, which I guess was like an original like a COVID, you know, the way that they got around COVID stuff, everybody was kind of uh, in their own little pod. Made it a little bit warmer than I would have liked, but overall, it was still an interesting experience. We'll start with the drinks at uh, Last Resort. I had a Hemingway daiquiri, and it was quite potent. I would certainly say that. that they, uh, they they did not uh, skimp on, on the potency of those drinks there at the Last Resort. I thought it was good. Yeah, the they, outdoor setup they had there was actually kind of cool. You know, they had their own little shed, I guess, but it was it was kind of a neat atmosphere. They had their own little outdoor bar, an outdoor bartender there. Um, and they had a uh, menu of mixed drinks, which you guys both got, but they had a couple beers on draft. I got the Terrapin Watermelon Ghost, which was, uh, wasn't was a very strong, like, uh, watermelon flavor to it, but really light, just kind of a hint of watermelon at the end. So, again, sitting there, you know, just melting in a greenhouse, it was good, kind of refreshing uh Beer, probably not as good as the uh, Creature Comforts one I had had the day before, but still a really refreshing, good beer. And, you know, just a good draft beer like that. Always, I can't complain about that. My favorite part about the drink menu was a not only had an old fashioned, but they called it a double old fashioned. And so you can imagine, just like Tom's, the potency of this drink. And let me tell you, it was, I mean, it was brilliant. I am not enough of a mixed drink and cocktail connoisseur to explain all the things that were going on. Let me just tell you, it was really good. It wasn't super sweet, but it was sweet enough to where you wanted to keep drinking it, um, which I did for sure. It set things up for a great night. It was just a really good drink. And and it was consistent as well. I did get two, and the second one was just as good as the first one. So the guy was crushing it every single time, which is always good. Last resort, I mean, it was a great start to what was a fantastic meal time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and meal-wise, I had the filet that was topped with a crab cake, and the like, the display of this thing was just, it was really, it was like, this is a high-level chef, like, put this all together, topped on top of mashed potatoes, and I had a vegetable, which my wife was very excited about. A vegetable, uh, a vegetable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Had, had what Tom's beans. not saying is there was, like, eight green beans on the edge of his plate, and he ate, like, one. Like, uh, a but, five-year-old yes. that was forced to eat one green bean. <laughs> Before he had dessert, and he was so proud, he sent a picture to his wife. I did, yes. And it was, you know, you, you take the wins where you can get them. And that filet was just absolutely perfect, really well done. Uh, strong, strong candidate to win the weekend as the last resort. Because not only did you get the filet, 
But, well, I'll let you guys tell you about the meal before we talk about dessert. Yeah, I, I, I had a steak. It wasn't the filet. I had the same thing you had, I think, Greg. I forget what it was called, but yeah, it was just an excellent cut of steak. And it, had, it was on the mashed potatoes. It was topped with, I don't even remember what, but I think I devoured it before I could even read the menu. But yeah, it was excellent. It was great. Yeah, I, I had been there before, and I, I don't think I've ever gotten a steak there. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it can't miss. I mean, there's a reason why that's the kind of recommended place. And, you know, we got there probably just at the right time. I mean, if we would have waited mm-hmm. three minutes or an hour, we would have been waiting for quite a while to get in there. You know, note for everybody, they do not take reservations. So just get there as soon as possible. That's the best way to actually get a table. I, uh, like you said, Nate, I had the same thing as you did. It was a hanger steak. It was good. I, it was smaller than I expected. And yet yeah, it, was, it was, Yeah, it was still like, it was enough for me. I wasn't super hungry after I ate it. There was, I think a little pesto mixed in with the, uh, with the mashed potatoes. There was something green there that, yeah, uh, that kind of yeah. added a little flavoring and there was some corn on the cob. Overall, it was it was just really strong. I was a big fan. It was still not the peak of the dinner, no. right, Tom? No. <laughs> no, what puts Lost Resort over the top is they are known for their desserts, known for their cheesecakes. And one specific cheesecake that both Gray and I got, and Nate got some, some of it as too, was it is a white chocolate cheesecake with Oreo crust, and the drizzle on top is like they melted the cream inside an Oreo. And it might be the most delicious thing of every. It was unbelievably great. And it's one of those, Gray, you, you got the 411 on it early, and I'm glad you did. When you get there, order it when you're ordering your meal so that they keep a couple of slices for you because they run out of it so fast because it, it is uh, a dream. It is amazing. Oh, a shout out to our waitress, by the way, because she says, yes. oh, we got plenty. And then she checks, like, actually, no, I only had two or something. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, I asked kind of jokingly, but then, you know, enough people at that time had said, hey, make sure you order as soon as you sit down that I knew I had to do it. And yeah, props to our wonderful waitress who did say, don't worry, we're heavily stocked up and then went back and looked and said, actually, you know what, we are running low really fast. So I will set a piece aside for y'all and uh, really, you know, helped us out. So I, I wish I remembered her name, but maybe it's Tom's Hungry MVP right now because she was able to secure us the white chocolate cheesecake. Absolutely. I'll give you a lot of credit, Gray, for even saving a sliver of a slice. I, you know, it's amazing that you had the self-control to do that, to yeah. you know, give me a taste. And James, our friend who also joined us, got a little taste. And yeah, I, I deeply regretted not buying just a whole cake after I had a bite of it. Yeah. It was fantastic. Uh, so then after that night, we actually went back to the hotel and, and celebrated the team's uh, graduation as they recognized the 10 players and staff members who had graduated. And then we went back out. Uh, unfortunately, like you said, Nate, a little bit of disappointment. Yeah, you know, we walked around. Creature Comforts is sort of a staple down there. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot bigger place than I expected. It's a brewery in town. At the end of the street our hotel was on, I want to say Washington Street. And took a long sort of roundabout way to get there, found what we thought was the front entrance. No, not the front entrance. All right, you go another block over to the back. And at this point, it was like, what, 930, 920, something yeah. like that. Walk in, there's a live band playing, there's people out there. We're like, oh, this is going to be great. Uh, walk up to the front, and the lady said, well, you know, uh, we're actually kind of full, so there's sort of a wait. But there's actually not a wait because we were stopping serving in 15 minutes. It's, it was a weird, weird situation. So, like, okay, so 945 is when they're going to stop serving. So... Yeah, we had to go to Plan B, walk basically all the way back to the hotel, and went to Flanagan's, which was a just kind of an Irish bar, pretty standard, uh, nothing too special, but pretty cool. We ended up sitting on some couches by the front, just kind of hanging out, you know. And uh, there, 
had a couple, had a Creature Comforts Tropicalia, which is an IPA. Um, pretty standard. Yeah, both the ones I had here were just kind of okay. Um, the Tropicalia is an IPA. It wasn't too strong of a flavor of an IPA, but pretty easy drinking one. Um, and then I had the Classic City Lager, which I'll give props to the sort of design of the cans. Got a very sort of like 70s kind of retro aesthetic to it, but that's just kind of their standard go-to lager, I think. So uh, nothing too great there, um, but it was okay. But yeah, it was just a good way to kind of wind down the weekend, just have kind of a chill uh, evening there. And I had fun at Flanagan. So yeah, it was a good yeah. way. We were at the, in the couch there at the front and we were just kind of, we weren't the, we were like the unofficial bouncers. Uh, yeah, we were the, just pe where's people watching? That's like my favorite yeah. thing to do. Yeah, you oh, just watch gosh. all the weirdos that come in and out and it was great. And my gosh, was there people to watch. It oh, was yeah. <laughs> well, quite I also, I also have to point out the lowest couches I've ever tried to sit on. It yeah, was, yeah I, I immediately regretted sitting down as soon as I tried to stand up. Yeah. It was it was a real battle to try and get up and down. My knees were not super grateful for that. But and yeah, because we were inebriated. It was just, you know, the, it's just. It's just what it was. It's just physically difficult. Flanagan's, I had another Jack and Ginger, uh, much better than All Goods. I give it an eight out of 10. You know, it, it was it was exactly, it was pretty standard, but they just mixed it a little better. And also it wasn't super duper expensive, which I really appreciated. I, I think the mixed drink highlight for sure for me was the double old fashioned from Last Resort. And I mean, why mm. not? It was incredible. Yeah, I'd probably still, I like the Terrapin I had at last resort. I probably still got to give my edge to the creature comforts I had at Trapeze. Just maybe just, it was what we were doing, sitting outside on a warm day, just sort of worked there. But mm -hmm. yeah, and that's not usually something I go for. I don't go for these sort of like tart, fruity beers, but yeah, it was really good. So that'd probably be my winner of the weekend. And the last place that Gray and I went, actually, Nate, you're still with the team at this time, but us being bubble adjacent, we got a brunch uh, before the game on Sunday. And uh, the first place we went had an hour and a half wait. So we were like, well, let's look around, see if there's anywhere else that we could go. And we ended up getting ahead just ahead of the church crowd, going to a place called the Hilltop Grill in Athens, which the atmosphere was actually really cool. It's like you're in a lodge. And um, both Gray and I got eggs Benedict, crab cake, eggs Benedict with fire roasted potatoes and bacon. And if you follow me on Facebook, you see that uh, in about 10 minutes, that was all gone. It was uh, tremendous. It was great. It was uh, just a really, really good brunch. And it's one of those, it's not going to be the first place that people recommend for you. So you might be able to get in uh, and you won't be disappointed. I was actually, it all worked out really well that we were able to get there. I was absolutely blown away because, um, you know, I needed the pick me up. We, we were we were needing something good to wrap up the week. It had been disappointing when we had tried to get on lists at, at places that morning and trying to, you know, get in lines and there were all these waits. And it seemed like the entire city of Athens was trying to go to mama's boy. And we find this place with no wait. We go and sit down and you're right, Tom. I mean, it, the whole thing blew me away. I, first thing, the atmosphere was incredible. Like you said, I remember I looked at you and said, do you smell that? It smells like pine. Like we were in an actual lodge and they had scented the whole restaurant or something. And I had the same crab cake Benedict as you. I also had some crab bisque, which was mm. just, it just lit a fire inside me and got me ready to eat my meal and then go to game three. It was just a great way to cap off the weekend in terms of actual Athens related sit down restaurants. The presentation of the Benedict, the eggs Benedict was really good. If there was any possible drawback, I would have liked a little bit more hollandaise sauce 
But I mean, that's that's a nitpicking thing. I thought it was really, really good. A lot of places that would have won it as well. But Breakfast kind of won it in Fayetteville. So this week, I'm going to give it to Last Resort because, again, that white chocolate cheesecake, one of the most delicious things I've ever put Stupid. in my mouth. Stupid. Stupid. Good. I mean, what? Like, I was, violence was threatened against me by people in this office where I record currently if I did not order the white chocolate cheesecake. I am not kidding. Like, I, hmm. you would have thought I had admitted the kicking a puppy of, of war. <laughs> times when i said i hadn't had the white chocolate cheesecake i mean the looks i got down the hall it it was i never want to experience that again so mm-hmm. i'm glad i got the white chocolate cheesecake boulder off my back so i'll, I'll give her, i'll give a late nate's thirsty shout out to the frozen dr pepper i got at bucky's finally got my bucky's trip you guys have been like five million times but I, <laughs> i'll give you a little when the bus pulled off at that leads exit because everybody wanted to go but nobody really liked asked him outright, you know, Murph to stop the bus. We're all like, is he going to stop? Are we going to stop? And we thought, you know, we won. We was like, okay, maybe we'll go. And let me tell you that that's the most excited I've seen our bus in a long, long time when it started to slow down and it pulled off of that Leeds exit, that thing about exploded and everybody like ran. Wow. The bus. So it was an exciting experience for everyone, myself included. And yeah, that frozen Dr. Pepper. Mm. Wow. And that's, that's understandable. Cause I know how it feels on the way home, win or lose, but it's, you know, even, you know, win, it's it's getting kind of late. You just want to get home, but I'm glad I'm glad the decision was made to go to Bucky's because you can't go to Bucky's and not be happy. So yeah, I'm you glad. got to you got to right. yeah. So overall, yeah, just a great weekend. Uh, we've had some tremendous Tom's Hungry places to go this year. Lexington, Fayetteville, and Athens are all toward the top of this of this conference. Athens might be number one if it's not one. Fayetteville's number one. So. Uh, we're really glad the schedule makers made it out that way, at least for that. Hopefully mm-hmm. there is only one more Tom's hungry and we already know what's going to win that. It will be cattlemen's, but we'll see. Ideally, Even if you have to pay for it, right? <laughs> well, for multiple people, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the reminder. That's only the second time this show we talked about that bet, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but well, you know, we'll, we'll look around, hopefully find some, some new places uh, in OKC to, to see if anything can come close to Cattleman's. Well, it'll be interesting. That is the debut of Nate's Thirsty. Tie it in with Tom's Hungry. SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I guess we'll do this in about a month as we uh, wrap up the college softball season. Knock on wood, fingers crossed. That's right. I'll be there. <laughs> we'll, we'll all be there, hopefully. Yeah, I, I hope. Yeah, true. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. Otherwise, we're all going to be uh, doing this from our living rooms, picking which drinks yeah, we a got sad podcast <laughs> at the neighborhood pool <laughs> on Merck's boat maybe well we'll see big shout out to our friend nathan sheehan coming back on the show for nate's thirsty time and a great time's hungry like you said i mean we have been really truly spoiled on the road this year bubble adjacent has a lot of negatives but each week we found more and more positives and the big one was we controlled our own destiny when it came to eating out yeah, so we we uh, we made sure to hit as many of the high spots as we could at every place we went. Even you know, even the lake with the casseroles. I was happy with that for Auburn weekend. So it was a good overall road slate for us as far as Tom Hungry goes, and we'll hopefully be able to cap it off with a big one in OKC, like we said. 
I will never turn down Mama Goldberg's nachos. I will never do it. I will no. never do it. It's always good to me. Keep in mind, again, this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we will have gear, koozie, stickers, all available on Saturday. So please stop by the booth. Not while we're on the air, please, for the love of all that is good. But come by, get a sticker, get a koozie. We'll do a couple shirt giveaways, all that jazz. And Tom... We're going to be together on Saturday. You're doing radio Thursday and Friday. I'm on TV with Sid. We're going to be tweeting. So where can the people find you on the social media? Find me on the Twitter at TCanterburyRTR as we're discussing anything and everything softball related. As always, we, we had fun talking about the draft and, and uh, taking a look at Bama baseball as well. And then uh, some wrestling there is too. So always check that out. TCanterburyRTR on the Twitter. Wrestling? What? Mm-hmm. Yes. We'll, I didn't know you we'll were discuss a fan. It all. Yeah, I know. I know that shocked you. <laughs> I'm still I'm still just loving the fact that the two main WrestleMania matches you really got to sit down and watch were Bad Bunny in a tag team match and The Fiend and Randy Orton uh, kicking off uh, night number two of WrestleMania. I'm so glad you got. <laughs> I was able to indoctrinate you that way. It's just a very interesting experience in my life, which I might tweet about at Gray underscore Robertson on the Twitter. Of course, follow the show at out of the box underscore pod. And Tom, the people can listen to us where this weekend as they uh, as they get ready for the postseason, because good Lord, I, it's really coming into focus. This is the final weekend of the regular season. Yeah, capping things off here, as always, you can listen to us. If you're in Tuscaloosa over the air on the radio at 93.3 FM, you can listen streaming online at praise933.com, also the Praise app. And as always, you can also, now that we're on the full network, as we have been uh, for now a, a little over you know, over a month now on the full network on the Crimson Tide Sports Network on TuneIn, as well as SiriusXM. A lot of ways to do it. Just, yeah, just click the link. Just Push the button, go to RollTide.com, and go to the schedule page. There's a link to live audio, live video, live stats, always. The pregame tweets that Gray and I put out, the pregame tweets that Alabama puts out, all has links to all those things. You should be a one-stop shop wherever you go. We try and make it as easy as possible. And by the way, if you want to watch and mute me and listen to Tom – the video is all on the same pages where the radio links are yeah. pretty much. So, you know, it, we, again, we try and make it easy for you. You can do whatever you want. You can watch, mute, listen to Tom, go back, watch the replay with me and Sydney's commentary and get us a viewer. I don't know how that works with the digital yeah. viewership, but help you us can out. totally, totally immerse yourself into everything that we got going on this weekend. You could be like some of the parents who will sit in roads this weekend and listen to the radio broadcast while watching with their eyes because they're awesome. That's- yeah. A lot of fun. And so we got a, got a great group of, of parents on team 25 that we've gotten to talk to some and uh, had some more of that here this weekend. So that was really cool too. Absolutely. Well, one more quick thank you to Jenny Dalton Hill for joining us. Thanks for coming in when we needed you, JDH. And we'll be talking to her very, very soon once again on the Out of the Box podcast. And that's going to be it for us here on the show again. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in every week. We will see you this weekend. Again, Tom is on radio all three days. I will be back with him on Saturday. Sydney and I will be doing TV on Thursday and Friday on the SEC Network Plus. Tom, as we 
Uh, honor those who have struggled with breast cancer with the power of pink game this weekend and also honor our seniors. It's going to be a really emotional week here at Rhodes this weekend. It is. And, you know, you think about it, the, we waited so long for this season because obviously the way things ended in 2020, waited almost 11 full calendar months without softball. And man, this season has absolutely flown by. It has been uh, so much fun, though to kind of get back to some normalcy and to have this season. And there's a lot more of it left. The postseason is going to be just crazy as always. Uh, but yeah, definitely come out and uh, support everyone because it's it, it has never been harder to be a college athlete than it is right now, uh, having to do everything everyone's had to do for the past year. Uh, so uh, come out and support and uh, say thank you to, to these ladies that have given everything uh, this year. Well put, partner. Very well put. That's a great way to cap it off. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Like Tom said, the regular season is winding down. Postseason is ramping up. We're just getting started, and we hope you will stay along the rest of the year with us here on the Out of the Box podcast. We'll see you next time.